Thank you for listening to Cinephiles Digest. This is Matt, and you are listening to episode 65. And on this week's episode, we are going to be reviewing the new Quentin Tarantino flick, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, as well as the debut feature from director and writer Lulu Wang, The Farewell, starring Aquafina. Uh, so we'll be getting into that a little later in the show, but first let me introduce my guest. Joining me as always, Travis. How's it going, man? Beautiful day to be recording. Is it though? Isn't, shouldn't it be like a? If it's beautiful outside, shouldn't we be like outside in the world? That was, that was the joke. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. It is very nice. It's very nice here today. But we're inside. At least it's not hot in here. At least not yet. Yeah, doing oh, okay. It's gonna get a little hot. <laughs> and uh, returning to the show for the first time in like almost two years, I think coming up on two years. Like to welcome back Jay. It is a pleasure to be here. I think uh, what last time we had you was uh, Blade Runner 2049 review, right? Yep. Still a classic. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's an all-timer. That's a big episode. It was a big episode. That was the uh, Bramosa episode. Oh. We all got bamboozled. <laughs> <laughs> and then also returning guests to the show, it's been uh, probably like seven months or so since you've been with us. I'd like to welcome back Paris. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. So... Uh, before we get into our reviews, let's uh, just go around the table real quick, see how everybody's doing. Uh, Paris, you can go first. What's uh, What's been going on in the world of Paris? Catch us up on the last seven months. Okay, so January. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, most recently, what's been up with me, um, I went to a family reunion in Michigan for a week. Um, there were about 250 people there. And so wow, it was like big family. Yeah, it was a big deal. Um, Are my, they all actually related in some form or other? Well, I mean, related or married into, but yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but like, yeah, actually related because um, my grandfather had ten siblings, so it's all those descendants. Gotcha. Yeah. So that was fun. That's just one side, or is it? This no, that's just my dad's side. Holy shit! That's, that's just actually my, my <laughs> I grandfather's thought I had a big family, but side. that takes the cake yeah <laughs> just my dad's dad's side <laughs> um other than that not too much has been going on i dyed my hair green and stuff <laughs> it's new um oh uh i have a boyfriend his name is kurt he's cool shout out to kurt what's his name <laughs> france it's Kurt. <laughs> That's right. Kurt France. Yeah. <laughs> it's Kurt France. <laughs> I picked him specifically so that if we ever get married. I am I can... Mrs. Capital. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, he's cool, I guess. <laughs> I mean, not I guess. I'm, I'm getting embarrassed. <laughs> Anyway, that's all that's going on with me. Uh, Jay, how about yourself? What's been going on since the last time we saw you? Uh, had a baby girl. Oh, shit. I don't know if I... Did I know that? I, I think told you, you. you told me that. Yeah, yeah she'll be four <laughs> months on the 9th. When is she so, going to be on the pod? Um, I'm trying to get her <laughs> to speak some language. <laughs> she's getting to the point where she's making noises, which is pretty fun to interact with. And, uh, yeah, so... And I've been watching a lot of anime too, because I've been trying to. I've been watching it with her, trying to make sure she doesn't get into that Disney princess phase and sticks with the uh, <laughs> with the uh, good old fashioned anime. Nice, oh yeah. <laughs> Let's hear some titles. 
Uh, Lupin the Third. Anybody? So do nothing for me. Nothing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's a gentleman thief, but it is, it's been around since the late 60s is when that show first came out, and there's been like several movies and a couple TV shows, and it's funny as hell. And um, yeah, Star Blazers, that's a classic. Also, no idea what that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, those are pretty much what we've been watching. Do you know if Tarantino is a fan of either of those? Well, he did feature... I don't know if he's a fan of those specific series. I mean, I'm sure, but <laughs> since I like them, he must like them. But uh, <laughs> no, I mean, he did feature that anime segment in Kill Bill. Yeah. Yeah, so you know he's got some anime in his blood. Right. <laughs> cool. Uh, anything else you want to mention, Jay? Uh, no, that's about it. Congratulations on the baby girl. Thank you very much. Travis, what's up? Uh, yesterday I went to Seafair. Well, Ooh. I didn't go to Seafair. I went on Chelsea's dad's boat and we watched the Blue Angels. Oh, that's cool. So for Washington. people who don't know what the fuck you're talking about, what is Seafair? It's a uh, weekend event in Seattle that does a, a bunch of different air shows and they do hydro boat racing, some other stuff. I don't know. I've, I went once like 15 years ago, but beyond that, I've just went on his boat the last few years. Isn't it also to cap off like Fleet Week when all the sailors are off the ships and are no in Seattle? No one cares about that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm like cur- genuinely curious because that's what I heard this time. And I was like, I've been here for four years and that was brand new information. Oh, I'm not sure why it exists. Isn't there some kind of pirate show? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm specific to the the air shows, yeah. The Blue Angels uh, drive me fucking nuts. I hate them. They're pretty cool, yeah, but such a it, waste no. of fuel. They drive you nuts. Correct. Just the chaos it creates within the city, or they're just fucking loud. Well, <laughs> when you've seen the Blue Angels for years and years, it's the same place, it is the same show, doing the every same year. shit, being loud. Who yeah. cares? I don't know. They were all this week. They were practicing like near my office building so we'd like run to the windows every time they came out and it like i don't know makes me feel like a little kid oh actually this show should be slightly different because they actually moved the show down s- further south so they don't have to shut down i-90 bridge they did still drive over i-90 though they flew over i-90 mm-hmm. well yeah but i think i think they're their show is going to be slightly different because of the uh, different yeah. scenery and stuff. Kelsey's dad was saying that, but honestly, it felt like the same. Oh, sure. I mean, last year. They're, they're doing loop-de-loops, <laughs> and they're going a 1,000 miles an hour. But I mean, even like the, 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 the spacing or placement of it felt the same as last year. Yeah. Maybe they just didn't shut down the, the interstate this time. Yeah, they just said, fuck it. What Drive are the odds that if these planes go down, that they're going to go down and hit? The bridge. I don't know. What are the odds that planes hit two giant skyscrapers? Well, that was deliberate. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we think. (laughs) Next up on Conspiracy Theories Podcast. Uh, Beyond that, I also went to a family retreat. Not my own, though. Uh, Chelsea's family. Oh, yeah. That? I was invited. Um, <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> it was pretty fun. Uh, most of the time was just spent out on the water, hanging out, drinking beer, riding the jet skis, playing a little pickup football, wow. playing some catch. That sounds really nice. It was fun. 
it was uh very hot though so the sun just kind of takes it all out of me especially if i'm drinking so it's <laughs> yeah. like early to bed late to rise <laughs> but we didn't really have much going on so it worked out got to catch up on some sleep uh but beyond that not much else cool yeah uh so my life has been pretty shitty the past couple days because uh i'm currently unemployed R.I.P. I did say, <laughs> did something stupid. Oh yeah, I found out that I got fired. Oh. <laughs> I told Paris that because they put me on paid leave, and then the next day, Friday, I found out. So no second chances. It's oh, do honestly, tell what happened. I prefer not to on air, all right, all right, but all right. I did something I uh, shouldn't have been doing, and rather than give me a warning, they were just like. Cut my head off, threw me to the dogs. That's serious. Well, yeah, I just got... I thought they were going to give me like a warning or something because I got caught. How long have you been working there? Over three and a half years. And I... Uh, this podcast exists because Matt started at the company we work for. Right. Isn't that how he knows <laughs> both you and Tom? So this is the farewell no, episode. Not Tom. <laughs> the, oh, yeah. Thomas from the police where you worked out with Sarah. Yes. Okay. Correct. Yeah. So, so without uh, Matt, there would be no Cinephiles Digest. Yes, this is this is correct. And I wouldn't have met Matt had he not worked with me. So, so uh, we are no longer coworkers, but it's uh, ultimately Still it's either going to be. <laughs> so we're not allowed to hang out anymore. Still co-hosts. <laughs> uh, ultimately, it should be a blessing in disguise because I have uh, hated that job for about three and a half years now, <laughs> um, but. If I don't find work within two months, it's going to be, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Did you get like a severance package or anything like that? No, I, I got fired. I didn't get laid off. Oh, right. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I'll still get paid for, like I have, I have another paycheck coming in, so I'll still be able to like make rent for September. But that's why like October is like the, if I don't have a job by October, then I might have to start Did hooking or something. Did you open up all those criterions yet? Did I open them up? Yeah. I opened them up as soon as I, oh, I was like, you still got the receipt? <laughs> <laughs> I only bought it. I only bought a couple this, this last go around. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, besides that, uh, Haley took me to uh, a Yeehaw concert on Friday. What? <laughs> it was like a, like a country, like folk type show, which is, I have never actually been to one before, but it was like lots of fiddles and like. Wait, is Haley into that? Um, this is not, a fresh start for Matt. He's oh, trying new things. <laughs> I'm trying on lots of different hats, you know, just to see where I fit in this world. Cowboy hat. <laughs> the most iconic hat. So the baseball hat just wasn't working. So, um, But yeah, so it was this band called Lost Dog Street Band that she likes. I mean, she's from Florida. It's, I mean, it's technically the South. It's not really the South, but people are in the country and stuff. So she grew up listening to some of that. And they're probably more folk than country, but it was a lot of like lots of people wearing cowboy hats. When the fiddle was like fucking shredding, people oh, would yeah. like stomp their feet to the beat and like, you know, <laughs> dozy doe or whatever the fuck <laughs> those people do. But like three different couples got thrown out and these two chicks we like we were outside smoking and these two chicks like started getting a fight with each other, threatening to call the cops on each other and like it's like why? How is this happening at a fucking like folk show? Like where I don't. Were, where was this at? At the tractor. Uh, I 
don't know where that's <laughs> so it was outside of a bar with a bunch of people who like country music getting very drunk yes all parties involved were very drunk yeah like are you surprised there was a fight kind of yeah people get drunk at all sorts of shows i don't know i don't see like yeah what are you trying to say I'm trying to say that I have also been to some country concerts, rodeos. Did you go to Watershed? <laughs> no. I don't <laughs> Wasn't that this enjoy weekend, country music. I'm pretty sure Watershed was this weekend. Probably. I just, that doesn't surprise me whatsoever that people were drinking and getting into fights at a country music show. That seems to happen pretty much anywhere you go. Well, like I said, I've only been wearing this hat for about three days now, so <laughs> I'm still <laughs> getting used to the world. Um, so that was Friday. I uh, did not tell. I knew Friday that I had gotten fired, but I didn't tell Haley yet because I didn't want to like put a damper on the show. She wanted to go, so I told her yesterday. So we had a good time. I mostly during the last band set, I d- I was daydreaming. <laughs> Like after a song and a half, I was like, "Yeah, this isn't for me. It's not bad." But and I was I was staring at the stage, but I was like, "I don't know what the fuck I was thinking about." But <laughs> before I knew, like three songs had passed, and I was like, "Oh shit, it's like eleven forty now. <laughs> like, <laughs> where did I go?" Um, so that's about it for me. Starting the the job hunting tomorrow. We'll see how it goes. Good idea. Do you still want me to work on your resume since you actually didn't tell me that you uh, that you're out of work now? Uh, I would certainly love if you were to take a look at it. Yeah, I haven't redone it in a while. It's it's fine. What kind of job are you looking for? Uh, I'm kind of in desperation mode, so for whatever. Not looks like great. not like McDonald's, but right, sure. Uh, I mean, my experience is in like customer service mostly, so that would be the easiest kind of job for me to get. And there's a lot of them. Is that what I want to do? No, I want to work as like. A copywriter, an editor, doing Podcast technical host. writing. Yeah, you know. So if the listeners could just pay your salary, then you'd be fine. So <laughs> I wish I knew this prior to you getting let go because there is a DJ assistant position open at KXP, but they've already closed applications. And I would have been like, dude, you should apply at least as a part-time thing to like make oh, money because you'd be amazing at that. Yeah, that would be cool. I applied for a job at KXP once, but... I'm sure they get like a ton of applications, so it's like. Um, but anyway, just keep uh, trucking on. Good Things luck, brother. Good. Keep on keeping on. Yeah, still gonna keep doing the show. That's all I have left. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, we would like to tell you about our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can subscribe for only uh, five hundred dollars a month. <laughs> so it'll only take a couple of you for me to recoup my uh, <laughs> my salary. <laughs> Um. So anyway, that's all I got. Anything else anybody wants to mention before we uh, get into our Once Upon a Time in Hollywood review? Are you ready for this? I'm ready. ready. <laughs> Let's do it. Oh, did we mention uh, part of the reason why Jay is on this episode is because he is a... Is it self-proclaimed? Would you say a self-proclaimed? Or? Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't call myself a fanatic, but I'm definitely a Tarantino genius. <laughs> uh, I mean, granted... I don't know about his like side offshoots because I know he's directed or written like episode single one off episodes for television shows and stuff like that. And I'm not too keen on that kind of stuff. But like the movies he's written slash starred in slash directed. What he eats for breakfast, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> no, I mean, that's fanatic status. <laughs> I didn't say I know everything about Quentin Tarantino. 
you know, I know a lot about, his, about his work. Okay. Yeah. Well, we will be putting that to the test Let's after, do it. Uh, after we review here. And no multiple choice bullshit. You better know it. <laughs> oh, I'll know it. <laughs> oh, I should also I hope mention, hard enough. after we do the review, we are all going to be doing a ranking of Tarantino's filmography, which we can get into the specifics because we got to talk about Kill Bill. How we're gonna handle? That's a uh, that's a that's a one one movie. According to the man himself, I <laughs> wanted movie. to say something about that because I was gonna ask you, and you were like, "Hey, you need to rank Tarantino movies," and I was like, "Okay," and then I did, and I was like, "Wait, I'm forgetting one," and it was because, um, yeah, because I knew there were nine, and I was like, "Oh, Kill Bill is one," because he says it's his ninth movie. Yeah, this even is his ninth movie. even Tarantino claims it. Kill Bill because originally it was a one movie script. Yeah, it was shot as one movie, but it was like freaking five or six hours long. Or five <laughs> hours long yeah. So that's what I figure, but I just wanted to check and see if we wanted because a lot of people do split them because people do have preferences between. But I I do think that we should just do Kill Bill as an entity. Yeah, I've never actually seen what do they call it the whole bloody affair. I've never seen that cut of the film. You know, I haven't either. I don't know if I think it was like a theater only. Maybe it's like on like a Blu-ray. Yeah, no, you can definitely but, get it. Yeah, nowadays. Okay. Is that just one and two combined, or is there also extra mm. footage? I don't know if there's extra footage, but there's footage cut out because there's like the whole scenes at the end of the first that kind of lead into the second, and they had to kind of cut some stuff out mm. to make that mesh into one. And the second one also starts with like a uh, she's driving the car and she's talking into the camera basically recapping mm-hmm. the first so i can't imagine that would be oh yeah that's probably in not the in whole there. bloody affair so i would imagine there are some differences when you actually because they did get theatrical releases separate so that's um but anyway so we'll get to that after our review first things first once upon a time in hollywood uh let's go to a clip hey randy <laughs> well so you're still with rick huh Still here. You in there? Yeah, just knock. Just, just look, just, just, just put them in the wardrobe, all right? And what's it gonna hurt? Then if you need them, you got them, all right? <laughs> then I gotta have a conversation with that wardrobe assistant, and man, she's a bitch. I just don't. Right, please, look, I, look Randy, I, I'm asking you to help me out, man. If the, if the answer's no, the, the answer's no. Not, not no with excuses. Hey, man. This ain't a Andy McLaughlin picture, you know. And I can't afford to hire a bunch of guys that smoke cigarettes and sit around talking to each other all day on the chance that I might use them. All right. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the ninth uh, feature film directed by Quentin Tarantino. Plot synopsis reads, a faded television actor and his stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969 Los Angeles. Film stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Emile Hirsch, Timothy Oliphant, Dakota Fanning, Bruce Dern, Luke Perry, and Al Pacino. So, I have a proposal for you guys. I say we all admit Once Upon a Time in Mexico is better than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. (laughs) And let's just all go home. Let's just go home, guys. What do you think? I agree. Hell yeah. (laughs) 
No comment. So <laughs> I'll, I'll go first. So Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, did not love this movie. Uh, up until the last maybe 15, 20 minutes, I was very underwhelmed by it. Kind of won me over a little bit with like the climax of the film. We can get into specifics later in spoilers, but a little gorehound. It's uh, yeah, I was, I, I was just waiting for it, but I knew it was like a buddy cop, not buddy cop, like a buddy movie, like a hangout movie. But it's missing that like Tarantino punch. Like there weren't like the scenes of dialogue. There was nothing that parallels really anything in his other movies. You don't have anything like the intro scene to Inglorious Bastards. You don't have anything like the Superman monologue in Kill Bill Volume 2. Like, the dialogue just felt more natural, which for any other director, I would probably be like, oh, well, that's that's good that it feels more natural. But it just it didn't feel like Tarantino to me in, in many ways that I can elaborate on later. But So if someone else directed it, would you enjoy it more? No, because I do still think the movie just meanders way too much and there's lots of scenes Leonardo DiCaprio is an actor so there's lots of scenes where you're watching him act and that just isn't interesting to me because I'm already watching him act I don't find this like second degree of like you're watching an actor playing an actor in a movie acting out fictional scenes within like I just didn't find that there was any like gravitas to that because it was still acting though and then he's playing a character. The acting, yeah, it was, it was, but I just found it to be boring, you know? Okay, well, I loved this movie, and oh I feel like God. I'm going to be the only one here who is praising it to the degree I'm going to praise it. Oh, my God. Uh, I don't like where this is going. I think you guys are, well, I think you're wrong, Matt. <laughs> but based on, well, you haven't said anything yet, Paris, so... I haven't said anything yet. That's true. <laughs> but I already feel like the table has turned on me. <laughs> and the way I'm positioned at this table is uh, not in my favor. But uh, yeah, I loved this movie. Um, I thought the performances were great. Um, I think you really have to love movies to love this movie, especially like older movies and just like the era, the setting, like all of that. Like I, it's just like, it was like an homage and love letter to that era. But then also on top of that, I feel like it's his way of just kind of like, it's almost like a collection of all of his works and he's putting it out there and just like, it's just like kind of like trying to preserve film and cinema itself. And this is kind of like his love letter to it. Um, but yeah, I was not bored at all by this. If anything, it could have been longer. Um, I just thought it was very entertaining. I don't like, think I've ever heard you say <laughs> this movie, this two hour and 40 minute movie could be longer. I watch shorter movies that feel way longer and way less entertaining than this. But I, yeah, that's kind of where I'll start, I guess. So I feel like Love Letter is a really good way to describe this movie because it did feel like a love letter to a lot of different things, to the film industry, to old Hollywood, to Sharon Tate, to like a lot of interesting and valuable things. But I feel like like a love letter, it just lacked substance. And it, I was like, cool, we're going to touch on all Hollywood. Cool. Like, 
there's a lot of small details that really make the film pop and I was really happy about. But I'm kind of more on Matt's side where I enjoyed it, but I just felt like something was lacking. But can you say what that something was? Um, maybe a more distinguished plot. There was a lot of character development, but the characters that I cared about weren't as developed. And the characters that I cared the least about were the most developed, I think. See, well, I've said it before, and this is my <laughs> defense of Dunkirk. Movies can be different things. It doesn't have to always be about plot and story. No, you're totally and right. I think this movie just, there's some really good scenes. Like the one at the ranch is super tense. Like there's some really yes. funny scenes. The filmmaking is amazing. Like definitely. He can definitely, like his craft is, I mean, he's always been regarded as a, a good filmmaker yes. and, or an amazing filmmaker. But I just think his craft is on full display in this movie. The performances across the board are amazing. Um, I loved all the little like cameos and stuff. I don't know. I was just like fully like sucked into this movie. And I don't know if it's fair, but like because I've seen his movies before and I was watching them at home. But like even watching some of his older movies at home, I wasn't really sucked in like I was sucked in watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And like I said, I don't know if that's fair, but. I will just prove how much I love this movie at, when we do our rankings. <laughs> I think the last thing I want to say at this beginning part is I think the biggest thing for me and maybe the biggest detriment to watching the film for me was that I had such high expectations for it because I really enjoy most of Tarantino's movies and, like, this just fell a little flat for me, I think, maybe because I had such high expectations. I will say real quick before we get to Jay that I do feel like this movie has the biggest upside for me. Like, I, on an initial watch, did not like it a ton. But I also went into it with maybe expectations that didn't match the final product so i feel like going into it with a fresh set of eyes knowing what to expect and maybe looking for different things i might find more to like about it so of tarantino's movies i we're going to be doing a ranking later and i did rewatch a couple things mostly the ones i didn't like as much and they didn't move at all if anything i like them less you know what i mean so i feel like of his filmography on a second watch i could like it a lot more it has the potential just because I was very underwhelmed going in just because it didn't feel as like it lacked that Tarantino style and pop that I'm so used to. And I don't necessarily know if that's a bad thing. Maybe he's just matured more as a filmmaker and was less interested with like the the crash cuts and the, the off the wall music choices and just like the weird editing oh, man, and the stuff. Soundtrack was it was fine. Oh, it was no. fine. <laughs> It was fine. Oh my. I would actually like to disagree with Matt on this point. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. I can't wait to listen to it. Oh my god! <laughs> and see this movie again. <laughs> All right, Tarantino fanatic, let's hear it. What's going on? All right, so I'll start off with what I liked. Um, the actors were all fantastic. The uh, the acting with the uh, abysmal writing that they were given to work with, um, <laughs> they did a they did a great job. I loved the relationship between Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, especially Brad Pitt and his dog. Like that whole 
relationship was awesome. Um, I love seeing my man Kurt Russell in that uh, as the um, what was he? Stuntman. He was wasn't he stuntman? No, he, he was like the uh, the manager or something. Stunt coordinator. Stunt coordinator. Film production manager. Maybe. Yeah, and then it was it was nice to see have, uh, to see Al Pacino in there. That was kind of cool to see in a Tarantino flick. Um, and so what I dislike is pretty much everything else. It's just, <laughs> it's just, for one, like I said, the writing, I felt like the dialogue just fell so short for him. Yeah. And, and like, I, I can get it. We're at a point now when we see a Tarantino flick, we get to a scene and they start bickering and you're like, okay, it, this is neat. Um, and we're probably going to be in for uh, some interesting dialogue here, but you know that we're going to have to sit through the next three or four minutes of them just going back and forth with some kind of mundane shit that is a little funny. Uh, but it, like that was just completely absent from this movie, and it wasn't even replaced by non-bickering conversations. And, or uh, tension, really. Or no tension at all. The, the there, single there was... most tension scene was in the middle of the flick and it was the most anticlimactic thing in the entire movie. You're talking about at the ranch? Yeah. Okay, because that scene and the scene in the climax at their house were definitely the most tense for me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I they were the only is... tense moments in the whole movie. Yeah, probably. <laughs> the <laughs> only tense moments. More tense than anything in The Hateful Eight. Dude, the hateful <laughs> eight is like hateful three hours. Of that just is tension. One That's the whole giant movie. No, no, no. tension movie. <laughs> as far oh if we're God. talking Don't like a, a needle, a needle of tension, hey, that thing is let's like. Let's save this for the ranking. <laughs> barely sparking. Don't even. Uh, no. It's um, like a. It's like a steady but like faint heartbeat. <laughs> Do you want to yeah. fucking fight, bro? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, Paris, right. We'll get into that stuff. Later. Anyway, uh, the soundtrack. I thought it was good, um, foreseeable. Like it, it, it's this. It takes place in '69, so you kind of like it's exactly what you would expect. It, everything is from that era. There's no like, you know, Inglorious Bastards with fucking hip hop playing in the background or something like that. Um, it's all pretty foreseeable soundtrack. Well, I mean, you grew up in the '60s, so oh yeah, yeah <laughs> this definitely. is all just like real. Oh, did we forget you. to mention Jay's hello? I'm 63 <laughs> years old. <laughs> I did actually. The one thing about the soundtrack that I really stood out to me is that they did a Mamas and the Papas song, and also included a small bit with Mama Cass in there. Um, like when they when Sharon Tate's at the party, she says Cass. And I was like, oh, that's Mama Cass mm. from the Mamas and the Papas. And then later they played a Mamas and the Papas song, which I really enjoyed because I'm a big fan of them. Uh, and also with what you said about, um, oh, shoot, now I'm losing my train of thought here. <laughs> <laughs> um, what you said about, um, God, I'll get back to it. Uh yeah, so I mean, even even the climax. Lit, oh, oh, what you said about um, seeing the actor act, that yeah, just not even that interesting. And it was like, fine. It, it was, was okay, fine, right? but but I mean, with even the dialogue in that not being very good, it's just it, there was nothing like really going for it. Um, you know, the scene with him and the little girl and that whole acting scene was like the best 
part of the uh, acting seeing him act within another movie was yeah that whole scene was really good mm-hmm. and the con the conversation that he has with the little girl see that outside. was just i mean i it was I heart, it was heartfelt <laughs> like i liked it but it, it was just so not even what i was looking forward to yeah well i like i like i like that moment because i mean you can kind of view this whole movie as kind of like a midlife crisis type oh, of definitely. movie so that scene was sure maybe a little literal because he's reading this book that just happens to be about a midlife crisis and he <laughs> but watching I, I think that was leo's like best scene in the movie because you see him as he's describing the plot of this book ha- come to the realization that like his life is basically it's basically a metaphor for his own life yeah and then he, at a certain point you can tell he kind of stops talking about the book and kind of starts talking about himself and i think he didn't even realize that he started talking about himself right and <laughs> so seeing that like you can see his face change and his body like his posture change and and th- i mean that's what i was talking about with the actors and they all the actors just did a phenomenal job in that movie mm-hmm. but that's that's a really good scene because you do have two actors and i mean they're all actors, but they're playing actors in the film, right? But they're not performing, at least not within, like, the diegesis of the film. Like, these are just two actors who are having a conversation, right? That was infinitely more interesting to me than seeing him, like, miss his lines and, like, have his freak out in the trailer. <laughs> Actually, that scene was that. freaking great to me. I thought that Even was one of the best in scenes the, in the movie. In the movie trailer, like, I thought the scene in his trailer is awesome it was a little the payoff of like their interactions the little girl and him and then watching that play out and then the aftermath and it just felt like a joke because like he was like oh i'm I'm giving up drinking no more drinking and then immediately cuts to him drinking out of his flask and he's like no and he throws it out the like (laughs) it was fine it was entertaining (laughs) but i just it just felt a little i don't know it just felt like the punchline of a joke to me So, um, I read, after I saw the movie, I read a thing that apparently the real Rick Dalton was bipolar or undiagnosed bipolar, maybe. And, um, apparently Leonardo DiCaprio and Tarantino wanted, (laughs) I was going to call him Leo and I was like, we're not friends. So (laughs) call him by his full name. Um, and Tarantino wanted to like take that and run with it without explicitly saying it and i feel like those scenes like that and the fact that he was crying a lot maybe um led into that but i thought that was an interesting thing to read after because i was like i didn't really get that so much as more as like a man on like you said like kind of going through a midlife crisis kind of trying to figure out where his career's at like realizing he's maybe not in the place that he should be and maybe a failure and I thought that was really interesting, but actually reading about how they were trying to describe someone's bipolar, I actually liked that scene less because it felt like too much. Um, real quick, I want to bring this up. So Brad Pitt's character, uh, Cliff Cliff Booth, right? Mm-hmm. How did you guys feel about the portrayal of his his violent past? It's like we know he's capable of violence and there are some allusions to something he may have done done. Which directly parallel? I can't remember the actress's name, but there was in in the late sixties. There, well, I was, think he was justified. 
you think he was justified? Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but so <clears throat> the reason why it kind of rubs... I think me, it's ambiguous, though. The, it is. It is it ambiguous. It is super ambiguous. But the reason why it rubs me the wrong way is because Tarantino, the main thing he's been criticized for in his career is violence against women. And yeah, he's had movies where, you know, the women are the star and they enact their revenge, but you, there are a lot of instances where women are brutalized for maybe no particularly good reason, right? So here you have this character where, yeah, you leave it ambiguous, but you are suggesting that he may be cap- may have been capable of essentially murdering uh, his wife, right? Which the reason why that's in the movie, or at least part of the reason why, is because there was an actor who a lot of people think killed his wife, but it was never proven. No one else was there, blah, blah, blah. So he's like drawing from history there. Yeah. But I just can't help but think there are other instances in his movies, not particularly this one, because I don't think outside of that, you don't see any explicit violence toward a woman. Well, no, that's actually a blatant (laughs) lie, (laughs) because... The most violent part of the movie is actually two women. Also justified. Upon them. <laughs> the, the, the scene, those scenes were crazy, right? But I just, it just seems like he has not learned his lesson. You know what I mean? Also, what do you, there's, how do you guys feel about the, the foot? I mean, he has a foot fetish, right? You watch all of his movies and there's yeah. like close up shots of feet. This one was like, when the girl is in the car with Brad Pitt, it's like her feet are like half the frame. It's like, it just no. feels like a joke. You know what I mean? Because he's like, yeah, you guys think I have a foot fetish? Well, watch this, motherfuckers. <laughs> half the screen is yeah, feet, I mean, you know? Yeah, but I mean, Kill Bill. That almost seemed like from a different angle, thing. though. Like, it was like, instead of like. It was reverse of what it usually goes for. Yeah. And I No, I know, but I. And they were like dirty feet, too. So I feel like he was doing something. Hippie feet. Yeah. <laughs> and they were pressed against the window. They weren't just resting on something. I know a lot of people I think have he been was talking about maybe this. suggesting towards something or saying something, but I don't think it was just like, here's my foot shot, everyone. Like well, A lot of people were talking about the Sharon Tate <laughs> foot shot in the movie where she puts her feet up and they're bare. I didn't care about that. That didn't bother me. The one They with- were also in the dark too right like, like it wasn't i didn't lit. think that was a big <laughs> big of a deal but the one with the girl in the car i was a little like oh and i don't have a weird thing about feet but that i was a little like because they're smushed up against the glass they look all like weird and smushy <laughs> you know but to the brad pitt wife thing i wish that had either been developed more or not in it all i felt like we got the we get the brief clip of his wife kind of bitching at him and he's like looking like yeah i'm gonna fucking kill this bitch <laughs> um and then like the talk about like some people think he, he killed his wife etc i just wish that had been either more a part of his character or not in the film at all see i i like that it was ambiguous i also like that and that he was basically like portrayed or remembered as the person who did this thing but we don't actually know if he was convicted of it or not and people of today are dealing with that like sure most of them are guilty or it's justifiable but there are certain cases that get blown out of proportion or like you're mislabeled for something and like he's still trying to live his life and like get out from under that like shadow or whatever and see i would have liked if they expanded just a hair on what he claimed happened. Yeah. I would have liked to hear that. 
It would have been nice. I think that would have helped. Yeah, I I also enjoyed the ambiguity, and that's not what I wish would have been clarified. It's like I wish just the fact that he was accused of killing his wife was more a part of the character and that, like, traveled with him throughout the movie. I just feel like that was, like, a small section, and then it's not really, like, talked about before or after. I also think that it was done kind of on purpose in the sense that we're not judging him on his past actions. We're judging him on the character he is now. Yeah, that's fair. That's why I don't talk about my past. (laughs) (laughs) So mysterious, Jay. (laughs) Um, Kill your wife on a boat? (laughs) This is my second marriage. (laughs) (laughs) How did you guys feel about the Bruce Lee stuff? Because it made me really uncomfortable. I heard that uh, the family is kind of up in arms about the betrayal. But I'm like, first of all, the scenes with Bruce Lee never freaking happen. Except for like the 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 quick shots of him and Sharon Tate like uh, training. training. And which might have happened. But that was those were legitimate scenes of just him training Sharon Tate. But I mean with him and uh, Brad Pitt's character, that never happened. So why the hell are you even... No, I... I... I was confused when I saw the movie, but I've been listening to podcasts and stuff. That was actually like a previous event in his life, and he was recalling back to it. And then, so he remembers that moment. It plays out in his head on screen, and then he comes back, and he's like... On the nah, roof, right? Uh, yeah. And he's like, oh, it's not a good idea, or something like that, or, oh, you're probably right, or something. Wait. Um, what? But it, it wasn't like a, yeah, make, a make-believe it, thing. It actually happened. The scene so- between... Cliff Booth and Bruce Lee. So, Wait, not Cliff real Booth life. Is not a real, real person. Not in no. real real life, but it actually happened in the context of the movie's world. It wasn't like a. a he was thrown into a car. Yeah. Yeah, but not. I think the the. It wasn't like a fantasy. It was a previous event that he was recalling in his head. Right. Right. Who was recalling in his head? Cliff Brad Booth. Pitt Brad Pitt. A fictional character. Right. Yeah. So I think... So I it think... never happened in real life. <laughs> okay. So, so you're saying it never happened to Bruce Lee in real life, real life. Right. But in the real life... like, Because when I first saw that part in the movie, I thought he was imagining what would happen if he were to no, be... No, that's not what I'm saying okay. at all. I okay. knew that scene was actually happening. I'm saying okay, in real mind. life, Bruce Lee never had that altercation. Yeah. So there's no reason for right. someone to be mad about his portrayal. Yeah, I was also seeing a thing that like Bruce Lee's daughter was thought that the Bruce Lee impersonator did an amazing job. The mannerisms, the fighting style was all like very accurate, apparently. Um, but she didn't love that. Bruce Lee's kind of... Pr- th- the way that the dialogue is written and the way that he kind of ends up in that scene, it kind of makes him seem like an overcocky asshole. And I think she wasn't super excited about that. So I think there's justification for that. And I think the whole like kind of like overarching reading of the movie is like Tarantino wants this era to live on. And that's like one instance of him showing that is that the the character actors or whatever you want to call them, like Cliff Booth beats Bruce Lee in this fight. And that shows that like this era lives on. And then like the end of the movie plays into this era living on. Cause it's like the whole revisionist history type thing. Like everything's pointing towards like, Oh, I see everything what you're living. Like, you know, like there's still this. That's like, interesting. <laughs> interesting. That's a philosophical thought. Yes. <laughs> but <laughs> you're not, 
addressing like the white male fantasy of this dude besting Bruce fucking it's, Lee in hand to hand combat. It's no. more than that though. I thought it was awesome. Like that whole scene was. It upset. It's, it's, it's for fun. It's he's not at the expense of Bruce Lee. It's not showing a legend. Him, he's it's a legend. It's not showing him in like a like it's. I feel like you can have artistic like integrity if you're doing it for a certain reason. And I feel like he's doing it for specific reasons. It's not to it's best Bruce movie. Lee. It's to do something else, even though someone who has an affinity for Bruce Lee may take offense to it. I don't think he is like knocking down Bruce Lee by doing that scene the way he did it. Because he loves martial arts movies and he loves Bruce Lee. So why would he show him in a negative light? And like, pur- purposefully. Spoiler alert. it's just alert. the way you're reading it. Spoiler alert. <laughs> that is the Tarantino twist. The white man beats Bruce Lee. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's where I... Because he, like, he's widely renowned as not just being, like, a, a one of the biggest uh, movie, like, Asian movie stars that have crossed into, like, Ameri- the American film industry. He's also yeah. recognized as, like, a martial arts master. Mm-hmm. I have big issues with this fictional character. Like, I don't care what his intention is. If you want to get down to it, though, he doesn't actually lose the fight or necessarily get bested. If anything, they're tied, and then the third fight or whatever, best two out of three, gets cut short. The point is that there would have not been any tie in a fucking martial arts fight. Bruce Lee, I don't care who you are. This is a fantasy, though. It's once upon a time in Hollywood. At the expense of Bruce Lee, a real person who actually lived and was revered, having him be basically made the, the butt of a joke. So that you can show this, oh, Cliff Booth is a badass. He, he it's tied more than Bruce just Lee. That. It's more than just Cliff Booth versus Bruce Lee. There's more context to it than just that. But not only that, he, so Bruce <laughs> Lee had a reputation for being a hothead, right? But based on everything I've seen and everything that I've ever heard about Bruce Lee, it was only when he was the one on the receiving end, right? If somebody came at him, the whole scene is him fucking showboating, walking around this, like, wait, well, they're waiting to shoot a scene, and he's showboating, talking about he could beat anybody, and he's doing all this stuff. Man, and but I've he, seen it clips sounds of like Bruce Lee doing that exact same thing. It sounds thing. like that's how he was. That's like, not I don't, what I've heard. He I don't was. know, because I didn't grow up watching Bruce Lee films. And, no, he was like, cocky. Bruce Lee was cocky. No, no, I understand he was cocky, but it sounds like... He didn't. I think the reason why the family drew like had issue with it was because he. You sound more offended than the family. Be, no, I don't. Dude, she, she was very upset with Tarantino. It just rubbed me the wrong way, and I also fair enough. This isn't the movie's fault because I do think it's a very faithful like portrayal, like the mannerisms and the actual martial arts of Bruce Lee. I thought that stuff was good. The problem, and this is a problem with the audiences, is that people were laughing at him. You know the sounds that he makes, like they were—they thought it was funny. Well, that was accentuated, though. I mean, the sounds he made were comical, and that was also one other issue I had with this movie was that it, it seems like Tarantino is just making his uh, movies just fucking comedies. Like that shit was funny. Fucking uh, Bruce Lee making those goofy ass noises, and I get he made those noises in real life. But, like, he made them accentuating, accentuatingly, is that even a word? Um, <laughs> even more comical than usual. And then, like, even the climax 
that we were laughing through that whole thing because it was just so comical. But granted, he hey, was on acid. All the best so. filmmakers make underlying comedies. What, right, and that's ter- <laughs> but right, but that's Martin Tarantino's- Scorsese, Paul Thomas Anderson. Tarantino makes his shit funny, but ever since he started making Kill Bill, his his uh, his movies have become more and more comical. Yeah, well, there's definitely a turning point between, like, I'd say, like, Death Proof and Django. Well, Kill Bill was the turning point, because you look at Reservoir Dogs, uh, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown. Those are all very serious crime movies. Yeah. And then Kill Bill goes a little bit more exploitation kung fu, and it's a little bit more goofy. And then Death Proof is definitely the whole exploitation thing again, and then Inglorious Bastards... Jingle and Chain, Hateful Eight, all comical as fuck. And this one. And this one even more so. Yeah. So I'm really curious because when I saw it in theaters, people weren't laughing at that bit. Like, especially like when he was making noises as he was like, you know, fighting when Bruce Lee was fighting. Um, so I'm curious because like that didn't play for laughs in my theater did that play well, for laughs in your theater to, well, de- to defend yeah, the mouth breathers for a second you want to start any conversation <laughs> to defend basement virgins for just a second <laughs> as in, as insensitive as it sounds sometimes accents are funny and just like accents are always funny I'm just saying, like no, they are. This no. is not a racist thing, right? Is that is that like what issues we're people, having? No, with... no, no. People could consider it racist, right. but it's a very like minor version of racism. Wait, it is not a version of any racism, okay? Because people we're living in 2019, Jay. Everything is an issue, so... today. right? And I would like to say I don't care about any of that stuff. Wait, can I? <laughs> clarify for a second i in so my interpretation of that scene the bits that were funny were him being cocky and then being bested by this random stuntman i also disagree with that's debatable i also disagree with matt a little bit in that i feel like that scene the reason that bruce lee won the first fight the Brad Pitt character won the second fight is because they were trying to show that Brad Pitt's Brad Pitt is an amazing stuntman. He's on the level of his Bruce character is an amazing stuntman and it, <laughs> at that same level and he can't get work because he has this stigma following him around for whether that's true or not. Well put. I also <laughs> think that the funny part of that scene was not the accent of the impersonator of Bruce Lee. I didn't claim that. I'm which just wasn't speaking even, on the it's not even as funny as Bruce Lee's real accent, I would like to add. <laughs> he didn't. The, the actor didn't even portray how funny Bruce Lee's real accent is. I think the, the part of the problem is that <laughs> Western, uh, the fact that Western audiences even find a Chinese accent funny is part of the problem. Um, that's people why people around the world think American accents are funny because Boom. accents are funny. Boom. Get the fuck out of here. Jeff. Another shrimp Mark on the Bobby. <laughs> like, come on, dude. That shit is funny. I mean, listen to those swamp people down there. 
Swamp people, okay, I'll get on board with this. Oh, oh you, fun of, I'm you, all now, about making now fun of this swamp is people. racism because you're only picking certain accents to laugh at. Swamp people can get fucked, all right? <laughs> all the other demographics in the world. Can I also just mention your girlfriend is from Florida, so maybe we should cool it on swamp. Oh people. man, we're talking she about is Louisiana. Not a swamp people. <laughs> she does not. No, not those ones. Didn't grow up in the fucking Everglades, <laughs> riding alligators up and down the Everglades hey, River. That's true. She could be hiding that. Yes. Hey, alligators were their first domesticated animals down there. So, <laughs> um, let's. I feel like we should transition into some spoilers because there are some stuff I want to talk about. Um, so. Any any like general impression stuff real quick. We can talk openly in a minute here, but any any last like general points before we give star ratings? I mean, and... good. Best movie of the year so far. Oh, giddy! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, so let's give our star ratings. Uh, three out of five for me. I'm sure you can guess mine. Three and a half for me. That's uh, a divergence from. Uh, didn't you give it a four and a half on Letterboxd? I changed the rating. Oh. <laughs> so when the I... The plot thicken. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a lot thicker than the plot in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So Got him. Zinger. <laughs> so I was looking at my current rating on Letterboxd, and it is three and a half. And I did change it, I think. I saw it Monday of this week, so it's been close to a week. And I initially was much more hyped on it because I had some concerns, but the people I saw it with were like, yeah, do it. Let's do it. And then a couple days later, I was like, I don't feel like, I feel like it really like didn't hold up for me the way I thought it would. And I lowered it down to a three and a half because I was thinking of my other four and a half movies, which I don't like to compare movies to movies, but realistically- I don't think it was a four and a half movie for me. I think it was a three and a half. I agree with Matt in when he was talking about in the beginning, like I think it would probably go up on a rewatch just because my expectations are much lower now. And I think that I went in with too high of expectations for this movie to do well for me. Uh, (laughs) Fart sound. Highest honors for me. Easiest five star of the year. Um, we'll see if there's anything that can top it. I'm looking at you, the Irishman, Brad Astra. Uh, yeah, Brad Astra for sure. Uh, I'm not even looking forward to anything else this year. Just well, dude, the Nightingale that's coming out pretty soon. uh, (laughs) No, (laughs) not once upon a time in Hollywood. Uh, as a Tarantino fan, I can appreciate that you give that five stars, but I didn't do that just for you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it just it fell so short. I I want to rewatch it because I've actually uh, I did see it yesterday. Um, but did ever Julia since, like it? Uh, I think she liked it a little bit more than I did. But once we started talking about it and everything, she seemed to agree with a lot of the things I was saying. Mm. And, um, yeah, I think I went in super biased and super pumped because I thought he was going to start hearkening back to his 
glory days of Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown, and I thought it was going to be another Jackie Brown. And this is definitely closer to those movies than his previous movies recently. But yeah, three stars as a standalone film, three stars. I'm excited to hear your rankings. Did you think long and hard? Uh, yeah, I did. No, I actually, I've got them down on a little note card in my pocket right now. <laughs> and uh, no, sorry, I'll keep going. Okay, so uh, spoilers for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood start now. Check the timestamp if you haven't seen the movie. You don't want to be spoiled by anything. Um, I want to start at the end, the climax, because I I was at like a two and a half. Oh my god! Man. Before <laughs> the climax, this of the was movie. this was the first Tarantino movie that I've seen in theaters <laughs> that I was actually like looking at the clock, seeing when it was going to end. Can so, we look at some of your three star and two and a half star movies and compare them to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I stand by all of them; they're all better. <laughs> I'm with Travis on this one. If the, the movies that you've given two and a half stars to are actual trash, and this was not trash. It just wasn't a great movie. It but was. It just wasn't what Matt it wasn't. Trash. I find <laughs> that <laughs> it trash. failed at what it was attempting to do. Those other movies are striving for different, way less ambition, sure. Real quick. Okay. There's so many pointless, pointless not, scenes. This is non-spoilers, but it seems like... the. The majority of the issue is like the dialogue or like which can some you, like can, can you some agree memorable with scenes? Yeah, did yeah. You like I can definitely di- agree that. Okay, so you did not like the dialogue. I didn't dislike it, but not up to par. It didn't feel as special or but as you like. Still gave it five stars because everything else is just makes firing on all. So cylinders. wouldn't that be a four and a half star situation? No, because even as a movie, I'm not that viewing isn't... it as a Quentin Tarantino movie. I'm viewing it as a uh, movie. like I was just going to say, <laughs> even as a non Quentin Tarantino movie, the dialogue is not even up to par to regular movies. Com- you're saying they it's subpar to... There was nothing What is a regular witty. movie? What is a regular <laughs> movie? Anything else that isn't Tarantino. <laughs> That's a regular movie. You're sir. talking to a Tarantino family here, all right? He's held to a different standard. Like, you, if, if we want to compare this to, like, an epic, like, Zodiac, for example, a beloved, some may say, masterpiece. Some would say, yes. <laughs> um... To me, like, that story is just as satisfying as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No. From a plot standpoint. No. And there was no plot. In what? In this movie, Once, Once Upon, Upon a Time, Time in Hollywood. Hollywood. There's a plot. There is no plot. There is and a the plot. And the climax, climax of the movie but has nothing to do with thing what is, we've been watching so far. Story slash plot is the least important aspect of filmmaking to me. You just said that Zodiac... Which is a a good plot, you're saying, right? That's a well written um, movie and Sure. But I I I brought it up because it's almost three hours long. It's got this, you know, mysterious element. Meandering I know element. Matt loves it. <laughs> but I would say it's it's kinda slow. And I don't I S- snails snails pace. See and You think Zodiac is slow? I'm flat. It's a little slow. I would give it five stars, but I it's a, a little on the slow side. You think z- the pace of Zodiac. Not definitely not as entertaining as Once Upon a Time. Well, no, hold on, that's not what I asked. See, this is when it just comes down to personal asking. preference. No, 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 no. This is we are different organisms <laughs> living in this world. Oh my god! Shut <laughs> the fuck up. 
No. My brain I'm, I'm was curious. built differently than I'm yours. <laughs> Clearly. God made me this way. <laughs> On oh, purpose. I'm going to fucking murder you. <laughs> I gave a Tarantino film five stars. You're still my friend for yes. sure. Oh, yeah. So I don't care I'm which just one. curious. You think that the pacing of Zodiac is... No, I'm not. Worse I'm not really going. I'm not really going there. I'm okay. not really going. There. I'm just saying yeah, that, like, what makes that dialogue special compared to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, but, See, and this is part of the problem. I think that there is high expectations me, when the, Tarantino's directing a film. The plot is pretty thin in Zodiac. It's just there's this huge mystery, and everyone's so obsessed with the Zodiac. I film. mean, that's a uh, huge mystery equals a pretty thick plot. There was a lot of, and, and honestly, if we're but going the, back if to you Zodiac, were to summarize which, I don't the know plot why we of are, Zodiac, but. <laughs> if you were to summarize the plot of both movies, you could probably do it in equal words. Fair. The, the actual plot. You can't even but summarize the plot of Once Upon a Time in that Hollywood. Is, and, that's, and that's really what it comes down to. If you were to say, what is the plot of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? It would be difficult. It would be like, it's Charles Manson, but the Manson family's no, not really see. in it. And Charles Manson's not really in it. It's really more about like the actors that live next door to the house where the Manson family killings took place. But also, it's like okay. a rewrite of history. Okay. Like, it just okay. wouldn't okay. make sense okay. to someone. Fair enough. But when I watch <laughs> movies, I go for mood, atmosphere, entertainment value, filmmaking aspects, all that good stuff. Okay. Plot and story. Who cares? We've been telling the same story since we've existed. Okay, I can, oh, I can, no. good, I can get on board. Good versus <laughs> evil, but I, I you know, can I say fucking... <laughs> that? Okay, that's your fucking second time you brought up some philosophy. Can we, can we talk about? Um, <laughs> there's like seven different stories we can tell. Okay, oh, and we've told them all a million times. Can so we talk about? Who cares? <laughs> how intense the spawn ranch scene was. That was. Probably my favorite scene. It was one of the best oh. scenes in the entire freaking movie. And we forgot about how funny Bruce Stern was. <laughs> who, who failed to mention? Who is Bruce Stern? Uh, the ranch owner. Oh, Spawn, old guy. Yeah, Spawn. yeah. Spawn. Is that Laura Dern? And see that dad? his dialogue was terrible. Bruce Stern. Or uh, Bruce Dern. Dern. Bruce Stern. And Wait, is he related? Honestly, to... Matt, it might be. <laughs> I honestly don't know if they're related. <laughs> Let's take a look. Travis Cinefell's digest. D E R N. Yeah, it's spelled the same way. Yeah, I don't know if there's any relation though. I'll just go to Wikipedia and look at. Uh, he was in her parents. He's been an actor for a long time, <laughs> but uh, he was in Nebraska, like seven oh. years ago. <laughs> you never saw that movie? No. Dude, Bruce Stern is a living legend. Come on now. Okay, yeah, wasn't he? He Nebraska. was the um, the southern dude in Hateful Eight. Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. He had yeah. the, oh, old, yeah, the, the old white guy. In the Hateful no, no, Eight. No, 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 but I recognize no, no, no. him more from that movie and from maybe other things I've seen him Lord in. During, no because in this one, else's. he was very like... He was like laying on a bed. There was a lot of darkness on his face. He was like, "Who He's are you? 83. I'm old." Give him a fucking break. Well, no, but that's what. I- <laughs> no <laughs> criticism. And see, that was the Travis closest. Travis and I are fighting now. Apparently, that I was don't the- know what's going on. <laughs> that was the closest uh, original, like Tarantino d- dialogue in the whole movie. Oh no, was it was amazing. With him, their little banter. Like, Who are you? He's like, I used to know you. But where are you coming from? And then just going over it again and again. Like three times. Yeah. 
So it was pretty boring, but it was nice to see some Tarantino trope exist in the movie. <laughs> Laura Dern is the offspring of Bruce Dern. Okay, thank you. Okay. Fun I, fact. I guess I could have assumed, but I didn't actually know that. <laughs> Mystery solved. <laughs> so that, I think the reason why, my two favorite scenes in the movie, that scene and then the climax scene. And, and the, the reason for that is because they are subverting expectations because the whole narrative quote-unquote narrative of the film especially from the previews is that this is all wrapped around the manson murders right well that's not true i mean even the trailer had nothing didn't show anything that like said specifically that manson or sharon tate were even involved in the movie but you people, it was well known that she, Margot Robbie played Sharon Tate and Manson is in the trailer. So you at least know, right. maybe okay. not that the whole well, narrative Manson was never it, in the trailer. Yeah, it was. Yeah, he was. It what, showed, yeah. it showed this, the single scene in the movie Pretty much. So, walking down the line? <laughs> yeah, so I agree with you actually because I had two separate people who I showed the trailer to and was like, oh, do you want to go see this? And they were like, uh, is it like a movie about actors? And I was like, no, did you miss the part where Sharon Tate's in it? And Charles Manson is very clearly in the trailer. And they were like, wait, what? Let's watch it again. And then once they saw that, they were much more interested in so the movie. So it was just a freaking hook. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually talked to my roommate, Haley, who I saw the movie with, which was one of the people that I showed the trailer to that didn't see that originally. And she was like, yeah, I was pretty bored through the movie because I mostly wanted to see more Manson family stuff, oh and those God. were the scenes that yeah, were true interesting. True crime heads. Yeah, and spoiler alert: no, 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 no. she's one not. Scene to a she's not at all a true crime head. That just that is interesting. More interesting to her, Fair. I think. And my she's hunter a season two fan. will be on Netflix anytime now. People just give it some. What time. season two? Okay. My hunter oh, yeah. season two. Oh, dude, I'm so fucking all right, stoked so, for that. So can uh, since this we're in spoilers, right? Yeah, yeah. Can we just like go in and describe the final scene? Well, yeah. So that's where that's where I was getting to. The reason why the final scene and that scene in particular are because it's it's historical fantasy, right? It subverts expectations because this is the Manson family Iran. She's going in there. You, what's going to happen? And going back to like Inglorious Bastards, rewriting history, yeah. killing Hitler, uh, like right in this movie. Yeah. So that stuff was cool because you. The reason why that scene is so tense is because. As long as you have a historical context for the Manson family, you know that he is in a pretty shady predicament, right? Because what do you ex- like? You expect he's going to go in there and he's going to be dead or something, right? But you go in there and he's alive. You go in there and it seems like he's mostly okay with the people being on the ranch, right? Build and then he escapes. Maybe. It's per- That's the whole <laughs> and scene. So, perfect. And the, you know the problem with that too is that that scene was the most tense in the movie. But also the most anticlimactic. I appreciate So I didn't have an issue with that. You are right, though. It was. But I appreciated that because it subverted my expectations. Okay. And I can get on board with that. But with rewatchability. Oh, it's your boy playing with you. Sure. But, I mean, that is that is like full uh, like 10 or 15 minutes of, of, of Brad Pitt just like slowly just walking to that fucking that cabin. Carrot. So the next time we watch that movie, we got to sit through that shit and that nothing really happens. And it's not tense anymore because you know that the dialogue scene that's going to follow is not even that good in the first place. Well, right. Welcome to rewatching movies, Jay. <laughs> Dude, I've got my share of rewatching movies. Like, any movie with a no. twist is going to get 
I'm sorry. Squashed. Ruined on a rewatch. It's no, just but that the, the rest of the movie is still good enough to like. And that's the thing. That. And it's the climax. If there's something worth watching during the climax, then you'll rewatch it. So, so let me give me. I'm your, getting. You guys are dialogue heavy gorehounds. That's what I'm getting. No. Tarantino. Why do you think we like Quentin Tarantino? No, no. I didn't say anything about gore. I don't need. No, no, no. Tarantino I know. I'm generalizing. Is a dialogue heavy but gorehound. I'm generalizing. Tarantino is a fantastic fucking writer. He is, and he and knows he it. Writes amazing shit sometimes. And he and has this just, and that whole scene fucking <laughs> fell flat. No. <laughs> it was a this whole movie was a Tarantino pop culture jerk off session and all he did yes, was want to make yes, yes. a whole I will agree and I thing. liked it. Right, but but there was nothing <laughs> there with just come all over your It was just oh, a stylized man. version it, of everything he romanticized for a moist towel. I was just just let it dry. Just so, let it dry. <laughs> when I left this movie, I felt like Quentin Tarantino, like, bringing his movie idea to, like, studio executives, right? I want to make this movie about the end of the golden age of Hollywood. I want it to be a midlife crisis movie. I want it to be a hangout movie. First of all, he doesn't need to sell his movie, Matt. Come on. Well, just (laughs) bear with me here. I think we're getting pretty close to Tarantino's, like, real feelings about his whole midlife crisis. Right. Like, straight out of his life. Which is fine. That's, That's fine. I don't... That's fine if he's drawing from his own personal experience, right? But I feel like... The pitch was, I want to make a midlife crisis movie set during the end of the golden age of Hollywood, right? And then the studio execs were like, okay, Quentin, that's cool. I mean, we trust you, but that sounds fucking boring, dude. Like, what are you going to do? Oh, get this, though. Instead of the Manson family murdering Sharon Tate, they get the wrong house, and it's fucking Brad Pitt. And he opens a can of whoop-ass on these hippies, and then Sharon Tate's alive, and it's a happy ending. How do you like that? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's a great movie. Like, it felt a little shoehorn in at the end. I love the scene. You but mean a can of dog food, right? What? Not a can of whoop ass. Oh, hey, We're in spoilers. No, I really like that. I want to say I disagree with Travis's opinion on this movie, but joke wise, he is on fire right now. Just laying one out there. I know Wolf's Tooth Dog Food is the new Apple, uh, what is it, Apple Smokes? Apple, apple cigarettes. Apple cigarettes. Yeah. I did love that the food was like raccoon flavor. Rat flavor. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay, so now we're at the climax. So, I mean, it's the Manson family coming into the home, but they get the wrong house. They were trying to go after Polanski. Well, they were just paid. they were just going to go through and start murdering everyone in the whole cul-de-sac. Well, I think their goal, their goal, Manson had told them to go to... I can't remember the connection, but like he, Terry. So Terry, Terry was used like a, to live some there. sort of music producer, I think. No, so because my it, understanding of like what actually happened, and correct me if I'm wrong. In the real world, in real in real life, not fiction, is that uh, Terry Wilson, who was brothers with Brian, Brian Wilson. Wilson of the Beach Boys, promised Charles Manson that he would get him a role in some way in the music industry, like make him big. He Charles Manson. Ma- Charles Manson wanted to be in the in the music industry. He was like a singer songwriter, played guitar. This toy plays into Mandy now. <laughs> Holy shit! Five and a half stars out of five. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> shut the. I've turned it off. (laughs) Okay, so and then he moved, and then Charles Manson didn't know that he moved. He sent his quote-unquote family to there to murder 
Terry Wilson because he fell through on his promise. He didn't actually get Charles Manson into the music scene. However, he had moved. Uh, Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski lived at that house. Roman was on shooting a film, I believe, overseas or out of town. And the other people were there visiting. And then they killed them all. Um, But one thing that sort of subverted that for me was the part where Charles Manson himself pulls up and they were like, no, we live here now. Terry moved. Which doesn't quite make sense well, with the ending because why would he still send people there to kill them? They He doesn't know those people. I think that was an issue with like the real world implications. Like It doesn't make sense that they would go to that house and kill those people but that's like what's kind of like fascinating and so like captivating about this what? whole incident because like I'm pretty sure from my like readings of it is that Charles Manson told them to go to that house and like kill them but I don't think they really cared who was in that house at that point which sure but that's not I mean it's revisionist history right I mean the way he ended up tackling I mean it the, is not the way it works it in the movie out works perfectly fine but if we're talking about the real world context but like the way it plays out in the movie like it makes logical sense in the movie's world that like they go up the driveway to do this certain thing and then rick dalton leo denaro dicaprio whatever like tells them off upsets them they go down the hill rethink the whole thing and then get all riled up again and go back up the hill to try and kill Rick Dalton and whoever else is in the house, and then the whole climax kicks in. I actually really did like that. No, I really did like that they were like, that's why they went to his house is because he came outside and was like, fuck off. It's like midnight. Get out of here. And so they were like, well, we'll kill him first, and then we'll go to this other house and kill those people. My thought is, why would they be killing those other people if they weren't Terry Wilson. Why don't you ask Charles Manson himself? Because no one to. will ever know. I would like to. <laughs> because in real life, I don't think that happens. No, I, That's no. okay, because this is not a documentary. I think the real the real world scenario doesn't make sense and therefore the, the whole climax in the end of the movie maybe doesn't make sense from a, a historical perspective, but it's not supposed to because it's a movie and the, but the way that plays out in the movie makes sense to me on a logical level. Yeah, it, it does. The reason why I love the ending so much is it's it's not only like a subversion of expectations, but it's also it's very sweet and tender because the movie ends with like Rick Dalton like talking through the intercom to Sharon Tate, who who is dead, and we now know that in this alternate reality she's alive and it ends with her and being it's like, like the bright side for him and his the career yeah totally it's like hey you want to come, come on, in baby. and have a drink Let's with us yeah like it's I also, <laughs> I also really appreciated that i don't i actually know very little about sharon tate but i appreciated that uh the way margot robbie played her she was just an extraordinarily likable character she's very sweet very genuine very just like you know, helpful and like even in that scene when she's like, "Do you want to come up? You've been through a tough time. Let's hang out." Like it just seemed very nice and like it goes back to I think the love letter. Like if that part was like kind of a love letter to Sharon Tate and her, definitely the way Margot Robbie played the character was very much like you wanted to love that character. But I hated her when she asked for free admission to her own movie. 
<laughs> that pissed me off. I'm like, pay little, your own like, fucking admission. I was a little like, it would be okay. I feel like it's okay to be like, I'm in the movie. That's me. But like, just pay your own ticket. Like, you can afford 75 cents, right? Like, you're like a movie star. That's a prime example, cute. though. Well, she was up and coming, right? She never really had. But she, she never broke out. Right. She but never she had the married, chance. But she married like Roman Polanski, who was a pretty prolific director at the time. Wasn't right? that the guy who got busted yeah. for like banging a 13 oh 100 percent. he's a terrible person and a pedophile but he makes great movies he did make great movies and i i i appreciated that he wasn't really in the movie super much because he was in it as much as like charles manson right charles manson was in it once okay but they polanski they say roman polanski like okay charles manson was in there for one scene and they Polanski was in it a little bit and more. And Polanski was in like two do, or three scenes. And they do like Rick Dalton's like, oh, he's such a good director. Like, I wish I could be in his films. But. Isn't that the struggle we all well, have and I today? Think, I think <laughs> I actually, I thought about it during the movie. I don't have an issue with that. Because if you were an actor during that time and you live next door to Roman Polanski, you'd probably be like, holy shit, he's a great director. I want to be in his films. And the shady shit hasn't happened yet. Right. I do uh, take some, you know, whatever with the fact that Roman Polanski is actually not a good person and blah, blah, blah. I think that Tarantino maybe side-skirted that by not having him in the movie very much. I didn't. I didn't inherently have an issue with it. I think the issue was just kind of like he's also to had to side skirt being a part of the Weinstein's pretty much his entire career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, One thing I will say about the ending and just kind of why I enjoy it so much um, is like a lot of the um, Manson family is like descendants of people in Hollywood. Like Kevin Smith's daughters in it, Uma Thurman's daughters a part of it, and it was almost like, and it's going back to the reason why I like the movie so much, and that it's like him trying to like continue on this like era, and at the end of the movie, one of them basically says like, "Let's kill the people who have like taught us violence," but the revisionist form is that era essentially fighting back with the new era, saying like, "No." Like, we're here to stay in a sense. It may be kind of loose and maybe not the best way to handle it, but that's at least, like, part of my reading. Well, I appreciate the ending because it was a little bit of wish fulfillment because you don't want the Manson family to be the victors at the end of the day. And at the end of this movie, they're fucking not. (laughs) And when when Dalton comes out with that flamethrower, just fucking classic. That was the best scene in the entire movie. Amazing. He's like, yeah, just... Weren't one of them to a crisp. I got a flamethrower. I actually have a flamethrower. <laughs> Him in the making bag. the margaritas and like totally oblivious to what's going it on. It was out. so good. It was so good. That the final bit of the movie is like phenomenal. It is the best part of the movie. But too down. comical. Like for legit old school Tarantino. It. it so I wanted with to with him actually, bashing her head into the same thing like two there, or three times. There are a lot of things in Pulp Fiction in Reservoir Dogs that are pretty funny in a fucked up way. Name it, 
Reservoir Dogs when he chops off the guy's ear and holds yeah, it up but to there the was radio. No, there was when he's singing the there song. There was nothing he's like, comical Stuck in the about it. With you. It's no, funny. it is. It is it's funny. It's funny no, in a no, fucked I'm up sorry, way. But in Pulp Fiction, when they're talking about what cheeseburgers are in France, that's funny. It's just maybe not necessarily played for last, but it's funny. Or when the that's, guy gets killed, not- like out of nowhere in Pulp Fiction in the like, backseat of the car it's funny like, yeah. Oh, yeah but it's it's not co- it's funny it's not comical I'm saying it is not absurdly comical like him bashing her head three times in the mantle and they go over her bashing it two times in the table and they go over her bashing it two times in the picture like that is just over the top exploitation it's like watching fucking planet terror or robert rodriguez's films he's what about death proof what about death proof that's basically what death that is is not there's nothing comical in the death scenes in that movie you don't think so i feel like the car crash is doing the exact no no the car crash is legit and there's nothing comical about that the only thing comical no, I think in, it's in, some is the very end twisted, when, when, fucked up yeah, humor of Tarantino. It's, it's like the tire up, rolling funny. her face it's off. Like, like, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like funny because it's so fucked up, yes. which I feel like was some of the scenes. Like honestly, using a flamethrower on someone comical. is like hilarious <laughs> in a fucked up way. Nah, it's, like, just, it's just comical. So we're <laughs> we're arguing. Comedy versus absurd comedy. Uh, uh, we need yeah, to get yeah. Andrew and Tom. We need Tom and Andrew here. <laughs> is it a black comedy or is it a comedy that's dark? No, their argument was like black comedy versus absurdist black comedy. Well, they were saying, is it a comedy that has dark humor in it or is it a drama that has comedy moments in it? Right? I th- Isn't that? think so but like it sounded like a weird argument to have it was very arbitrary with, with yes. how <laughs> serious that movie was <laughs> with how serious that entire movie was to have that ridiculously comical violent scene at the end as much as i liked it kind of felt we're, out of place we're talking about once upon a time in hollywood yes, yes. So you but you thought, thought the, the whole, whole movie, movie was serious was, yeah because I, I thought the whole movie was kind of like i agree even it was a it light was, romp okay. with the mysterious like thriller even when overtone he's like, when brad pitt is thinking all... back about he got overtone, fired which... <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing like that in that movie so it when, was looming over us. when brad pitt is thinking back on how he got fired from a movie set which theoretically should be like negative the whole scene is played for comedy. And even at the end, when he's in the present and he's remembering, he goes, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And it's kind of like a joke almost. Like the whole movie, I feel like, has comedic moments and a lot of the drama is played for comedy. Definitely. Yeah, that whole movie is comedic as hell. Wait, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's... That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Sure, but that's not a bad thing. Yeah, right? but but I'm sorry, but uh, absurd, like too over the top, funny. That's what I'm. I'm okay. This movie See, okay, was just too on. fucking funny. I, this, this is no, 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 I, I think you guys are holding Tarantino. <laughs> this too is high. Where, uh, this is where I'm You're coming from. Him, okay, pretty high. Fucking his early movies were hardcore crime movies with uh, comedic. Undertone. Like a so wicked no. sense of humor. This exactly. is the Tom and right. Andrew debate. <laughs> okay, and ever since Kill Bill came out, it started becoming more about 
comedic, uh, gr- uh, t- uh, gratuitous violence than it is about the legit crime movies he was making. I don't want to like cut you off or lessen your thing, but you could say this about essentially like any artist, musical artist, filmmaker. Like they're usually always best like in their primary, you know, at the beginning. Right. But like, and I'm not necessarily even like defending once upon a time in Hollywood. I'm just defending like an artist in general. Like there's only like so much that they can do or right, say they become shittier. The older they get. Not necessarily. I don't All think. All art is shit. I, think I don't Travis think he's. No, I don't think he's necessarily in a shitty place. But he's already done what he's wanted to do, and this is just like kind of him just like having fun and like playing homage to all the stuff that he loves and he's not trying to do what he did with pulp fiction and reservoir dogs and whether you dislike that or like that is fine okay but but i don't think he should be held to reservoir dogs and pulp fiction standards in 2019 fuck yeah he should be no i don't yes no you produce just as good material do you want 10 pulp fictions or do you want I didn't say make another fucking Pulp Fiction. I said make another movie as good as Pulp Fiction. Can I just make point out like Pulp Fiction, True fiction Romance. but different? True Romance is the greatest goddamn movie ever made. Hey, high five. That's yes. It. Wait, Not my favorite, but wait, it's, it's Truma- an awesome movie. True is Romance isn't on the nine, though. It's written by Oh, it is my number. I'm not even going to say right now because we're not getting into it. You could it. say number. You can't put them on no, the list. No, no, no. Yes, dude, I did. You can't dude, put them on no, the list. It can be care. number zero, but it, it can't don't be on the list. I knew, I knew there was going to be some fucking pushback about this, but it doesn't fucking matter in my eyes because... We're not going to get into Tarantino it right now. won't even call that his own movie, though. Well, whatever. He what are we doing? Nine, a top ten? No. He no. said. <laughs> he doing, said. No, it's a top 10. Tarantino himself <laughs> said hateful eight with his eighth. Once upon a time. Once okay, upon whatever. a time in Hollywood I mean, is his ninth. Obviously, uh, I've I've still got my fucking top movies. I just got to eliminate True Romance. Yes. That can be your zeroth pick. <laughs> It is going to be my zero pick. Well, you can say <laughs> disclaimer. My favorite Quentin Tarantino work, pr- work the is best, true romance, the best but... written Tarantino work is definitely true romance. Okay, so are you guys ready to move on? We could probably keep going, but I mean, we're over an hour on this. Um, I only wanted to point out one thing that Travis feels so strongly about this movie. He got in actual arguments with two people at this table. (laughs) (laughs) I was not one of those people. (laughs) Travis and I are good. Do you want to complete the quest? No. (laughs) I just said we're good, dude. Okay, okay. Calm down. Well, you guys should go see it again. You probably uh, I am, I am actually, um, I, like I said, I, I did watch it yesterday, but I have been thinking about it a lot since then, and a lot of things have come into my mind about it, and uh, which actually made me raise it a starter, because I was only going to give it two. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> No, I I will definitely I will definitely rewatch it when it comes out on video. Yes, I'm looking forward to a rewatch. Don't know, and I will I I will reiterate that I feel like you got to be a fan or like be watching movies from that era to really like sink in and love this. And I'm not saying you guys don't love movies, but I'm sure my Letterbox Diary can attest that I watch. More movies from that genre than you guys. 
Travis, you probably watch more movies than like anyone ever. <laughs> I don't so know. Apex to say Legends that you don't love has... movies would be both surprising and kind of like, what the fuck are you doing with your life if you don't love movies and you watch I that know, many right? movies? Well, I feel like Tarantino sometimes, you know? Me and Quentin just just get it. So Travis rated this five stars because he relates with Quentin Tarantino. He thinks they're bossum buddies. Plot twist. Boss they're not buddies. Bossum buddies, you know, like what? You've been friends since birth. Oh. Bossum buddies. I've never Bosom buddies? Is that I've never heard this? Oh joke. no. B O S O M. Yeah. Yeah. Bosom. 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 Is it bosom? Yeah. Oh no. Bosom. I've been so I've been outed. Oh yeah, me and Tarantino are bosom buddies. <laughs> <laughs> For reference, For sure. <laughs> Matt just made a like grabbing his titties. <laughs> I have no idea what either of you are talking about, but me and Tarantino are definitely. I really hope buddies. all of this is edited out. That's like an expression for people who have been friends for a very long time. They're bosom buddies because really they no shared bosom? the teat. No, it's bosom. He did like cast Margot Robbie in his movie, so amazing. therefore we're bosom buddies. <laughs> I so the problem with bosom versus bosom is that I bosom's not a word. That's the problem. <laughs> so the problem. Come on. Why I pronounce it that way is because I've always read the word. And it goes back to like when I was a little kid and I was reading the Harry Potter books and I always said Hermione and my dad actually corrected me and he was like, it's Hermione. And I was like, you don't know. You haven't read the books. Apparently that's an actual British name. Hermione. Like that's a real name. And then the movies came out and I had to full on apologize to my dad. Uh, exact same thing happened to me. Not like apologizing my dad, but when I read the books, I pronounced it Herm One. <laughs> I had never heard that That's word. Okay. It was a Herm yeah. One. That's okay. Oh, it's Hermione. Oh, I think I like. We've Herm all one had better. embarrassing moments like that. Okay, so are you guys ready? Oh, I Any... was going to share one. What an amazing moment! Oh well, back in the uh, downloading of music days. Mm-hmm. I told my brother I downloaded the discography of a certain band. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Hell> yeah. <laughs> okay. Are you guys ready to move on from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, you guys you guys want to do our ranking now? Sure. Of Tarantino's oh, filmography? Yeah. So sure. let here's what I propose. I'll start. We go around the table. Don't spend too much time on each pick because we could be here a long time. Are we doing that. round table or everyone's like you do your list? I, she does her list. I think we should do round do table. List. I think it's more fun that way because yeah. I think our lists are going to be pretty different. I think so too. Yes. So I'll start. So we'll we'll it's random filmography. We'll roll with it. Well, and we won't spend too much time on each one, but we'll just you know roll through. Um, so Tarantino has directed nine feature films if we count Kill Bill Volume One and Two and as written. one. Well, he's written he's written a lot of movies. He wrote Natural Born Killers. Well, yeah, he wrote, but he directed and wrote his every movie he directed. He's never well. I, he didn't write Jackie Brown, right? So he we're talking. Direct, no, well, he wrote the he wrote, script for he it. Wrote Jackie adapted Brown, it, but it was adapted. an adapted script. Exactly. Okay. So yes, yes, we're talking films directed by Tarantino. There are nine of them. So my number nine pick, and I doubt this is going to be very controversial. Maybe at this table. But generally speaking, his worst movie is Death Proof. 
for sure. It's fucking long and boring. Mm. It's not entertaining. 113 minutes. It's just way over the top. But it feels long. Boring. It's boring. <laughs> it's a fucking boring movie. It's grotesque. Like the violence is just super, super graphic. And you've called me a gore hound. I would consider myself a gore hound, but that scene grosses me out. It just feels unnecessary. Um, so death proof, I think is by far, maybe not by far. Technically, I Let's, gave it the same okay. rating as the next two movies. To be fair, and all you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but we all love Tarantino, and all of his movies get at least a pass. This is like comparing, like, siblings, if you had nine of them. No. I don't <laughs> think he's ever made a bad movie, but I do think there's actually a pretty big gap between his best and his worst movies. Saying none of them are bad movies, but I do actually think like I'm not. But you you my enjoy babies. and like all of his movies. Death Proof is questionable. Watching. I like I rate Death Proof a three. Is it because it's Tarantino, or like can you remove his name from the the piece of work and still say it's meh? Because it feels very much like a Tarantino movie. It just feels like he failed. But say with you his say you watched a movie like that from like the seventies or eighties, would you think it was better than it is because it's not Tarantino? Or no, I would think it's boring. It would be probably hard to tell because it's a, yeah. I mean, I, I get your point, but it's I mean, it's an impossible. Yeah, point. I mean, you know, we can't say it's all speculation. This is everyone's opinion. There's no facts here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my number nine, Death Proof, Paris. Okay. We'll we'll go. Not that people can see this, but we'll go counterclockwise. So my number nine is also death proof and i actually wanted to clarify on something matt said because i disagree i think none of his movies are bad except for death proof i actively think that one is bad i would not recommend it to people i, I want to hear why i saw grindhouse in theaters <laughs> the full like robert rodriguez intermission me too Tarantino. It was, it was awesome. amazing. <laughs> I was like so fucking captivated. And then we got to Death Proof because Planet Terror was first. Oh, I thought we were talking about the whole thing. Well, the, the major well, no. problem with <laughs> that was. was that uh, they played him in the wrong... They flip-flopped him. They should have played Planet Terror after 100%. Death Proof. Yeah. I also think that if I had saw Death Proof first and then Planet Terror, I would have been like, meh, it's fine, but Planet Terror was better. And I was actually always really mad because at Blockbuster, you could always buy Death Proof, but never buy Planet Terror separately. And I was uh, really upset Wait, about real that quick, always. Does everyone like Planet Terror here more than Death Proof? Yes. No. Okay. No. So I'm on Jay's side. I, I thoroughly enjoy Death Proof. Planet Terror is fucking... That might be my favorite Robert Rodriguez. Movie. That's not a saying. It's up to... Definitely- Dude, Robert Rodriguez, <laughs> I would... Okay. Real talk. <laughs> Hot take. <laughs> I would take Robert Rodriguez filmography Don't over Tarantino's filmography. You are for Christmas. Oh, I don't know if I can do another episode. <laughs> El Mariachi, Desperado, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, Fire, Spy Kids, Spy Kids Two, Spy Kids Three, Fire. Shut the fuck okay, up. Okay, I'm sorry. You actually didn't me- mention From Dust are Till you, Dawn, which is a Tarantino right Rodriguez combination, and that is actually my favorite. What? Rodriguez film from Dust Till Dawn. Mm, it's probably because Tarantino had a hand. It's it. probably is because <laughs> I highly disagree with Matt's statement. Tarantino <laughs> filmography yes. or filmography. 
filmography. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> is is definitely better as a whole than Rodriguez filmography. Yes, let me clarify. I do 100% understand and believe that Tarantino's movies are better than Robert. So hold on. But if this you was You gotta like, kill one. We're gonna erase history. We're yes. gonna erase one of their filmographies. You're erasing Tarantino. For my own enjoyment, you, like... You're erasing Tarantino. Yes, I'm erasing Tarantino. Oh. You are a hot dog garbage person. And you deserve to live in a dumpster. <laughs> like <laughs> that is how strongly I feel about if you're gonna erase one filmography, Robert Rodriguez does not stand a fucking chance. There are a th- there are at least three other people, three other directors that I would put like between the two, between Tarantino and Rodriguez. Like, come the now, fuck Is this on. because you relate to Robert Rodriguez? That's part of it. Yeah, that's part of it. So Mex- Mexican heritage. Latino heritage. Yeah, that's part of it. Like, I appreciate, like... Well, that's... His voice in the film industry... That's not fair. ...is unparalleled coming from that background. His voice? He doesn't have a Coming voice. from that background. Also, are you guys forgetting that he directed motherfucking Alita Battle Angel, one of the best films of the year? I did year? forget because that movie is... I've still never man. seen Alita Battle Angel, and it still looks like trash, and I still don't want to see it, so... I liked it a lot, yeah. It was so, okay. All I'm saying is that I have a lot of fun watching... You'll see later in my ranking of Tarantino's movies, I'm... It sounds like I'm the least, like biggest tarantino fan. i'm not a tarantino fanboy but yes. like it just is like sacrilege as a film fan to no. say robert rodriguez's films deserve to be on this earth instead of big time but i'm not making this decision on behalf of humanity i'm just saying no i know for I know. me but i still can't fathom it I'm like i can't even for me i would get rid of robert rodriguez as a person all of his movies would be gone I would keep Tarantino's movies and him as a person. Look, I'll, we're going to get deeper in this ranking, but I will say right now there is only one Tarantino movie I truly, truly love. One. <gasps> That's why. That's up. why. There's one. Okay. So and it's hateful eight. Matt is getting kicked <laughs> off the podcast. Yes. Travis and I are going to host together. I don't know. Matt's a pretty good host. Not Travis and I are going to host <laughs> together and have Matt as a guest constantly. Yeah. <laughs> we're deranking him. What do you think, Travis? We're going to erase you off the podcast, just like you erased Tarantino oh off of the, the film averse. <laughs> okay, let's let's move on, because we're going to be here all night if we uh, diverge this much. So my least favorite, favorite Tarantino movie is Hateful Eight. <laughs> Interesting. And like I said previously, like this is a four-star movie, so... It's not a bad movie. Okay. But, but I just like all of his movies Compared to the other more. good movies. Yeah. And I'm not discrediting the movie. If Tarantino didn't make s- such great films, this would be higher on the list. But, you know, it's just, it's tough. No, that's fair. Um, but this one, it's just, at the, the, the three hour mark, I just don't feel like it warrants it. And it's just because we spend too much time in the same place. And... I just don't think you can drag attention out for that long. Like I, th- I feel like it was like an exercise that he attempted, and ultimately it worked, but it didn't work as well as he hoped it would have. Can I ask you a quick question? Sure. Have you ever been to a play yeah. theater? 
Oh yeah, love it. And you enjoyed it. No, and oh, you yeah. en- and you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Cuz to me, Hateful Eight is more set in like a play theater yeah. type setting. It's Oh, all that would be a fantastic play. That's a good That's a good way to put it. Well, he didn't he do like a stage reading of it? I, I thought he did like before he I never heard of that, it. but that's I wish not I had. Something I'm aware of. Oh. <laughs> I mean, they at least did a table read, but I think he's even like flirted with the idea of doing it as that would a be play. fucking amazing. Yeah, Hateful that would be really cool. Broadway, but hello, like, Tarantino, where are you? <laughs> I feel like that could very easily be transitioned into yes. a good play. Oh yeah, definitely. For sure. Like I think the writing's good, and like some of the themes he's dealing with is good. Like uh, the movie looks amazing, but just we spend too much time in the haberdashery or whatever, and there's just not enough like memorable like scenes or moments to warrant the three hour runtime. That's all I'm saying. You guys can prove me wrong. You guys can say it's better than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You can do whatever you want. It's just my opinion. Fair. <laughs> All right, Jay. What's All right. Nine uh, my number nine is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> Got him. Yeah. It's, uh, it is my... Now, Now I'm not saying I hated it. I will end up rewatching it. Multiple but, times. Yeah, it beat up um, my other least favorite Tarantino film, which I didn't see coming. Um, yeah, number nine. Okay, uh, my number eight. Uh, I have only seen once, and I will admit I did not give it my devoted attention when I watched it. This is probably like five or six years ago. It's Jackie Brown. Shut up. I wanted to rewatch it for this ranking, but it's not streaming anywhere that I could find. And I didn't want to pay for it, so it, I was underwhelmed by it. I thought it was kind of boring. So good. I fully. I, admit I think you I will, will probably like it more. Change your tune. It is on a so. Good. Robert yeah. De Niro smokes weed in that movie. <laughs> <Hell> yeah. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> yeah. So that's my number eight, Jackie Brown. I don't really have much to say about it. It was years ago. It's the movie of Tarantino's that I've seen the fewest times. I've only seen it once. And it was also um, back, and that that came out right after, uh, well, I mean, it was his film right after Pulp Fiction. So it actually, a lot of people don't like it because they saw Pulp Fiction and that was such like a deal breaker. When that movie came out and you had like the adrenaline shot and all that kind of jazz, um, yeah, people were expecting a lot more, and Jackie Brown fell short considerably and for a lot of people. Time has treated the film well, just it, like very well. It will with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm on the right side of history, people. Okay, we can revisit <laughs> yeah, this we'll conversation <laughs> in two years, five years, ten right. years, and you guys will you, come on over. So, my number eight is also Jackie Brown, and now I like want to see Matt's list because I feel like maybe we're gonna line up, and I'm concerned. Um, but I again also this is one of the few Tarantino films I've only seen once. Did not give my full attention to. I was admittedly very very drunk when I watched this film, um, and it's been like seven or so years. Uh, since and I haven't rewatched it um, because when you said you're like oh Robert De Niro smokes weed I was like I don't even remember that he was in the movie like it was so you clearly have no precedence to even rank this flick move on and that's yeah. why no. I wanted it I'm gonna give this short and sweet I really actively didn't like Death Proof and I don't feel like Jackie Brown I can give a real rating to that's why it's just at number eight 
because I didn't like it, but I also didn't necessarily watch it per se. So I want to just give that disclaimer and move on. I feel like we're going to be defending every ranking here. No, I mean once we get once we get past past the initial films, I don't know. Like everyone starts naming their films, then we're gonna move on. I have a feeling my like. I have a feeling my list is going to be wildly different from okay, let's see at it. least one of you. All right, well, I, you're th- up. I think I'm going to so be far, pretty Matt close and I are to you. Matching, so. I don't know. This next pick will reveal. A lot. Okay, let's see. Reservoir Dogs. You're fucked, bud. Wait, <laughs> number eight. <laughs> That's wow. Number eight spot. Holy shit. Yes, and Reservoir Dogs. It's almost for the same reason as Hateful Eight. I still really enjoy it. I think it's super important. Wow. All that. What? <laughs> it's it's pretty contained. It's it doesn't you know it. It, most of it takes place in a warehouse, just like most of Hateful Eight takes place in so, a haberdashery. I asked you this before, <laughs> but I'm going to ask you a question again. Do you enjoy plays and theater? Yes. I feel like, like okay. no, the though. So on that, on the that dialogue's note. great in it. There are some memorable scenes, but beyond that... That is another movie that could very easily be a play because okay. it all takes place. On that note, movie. I sure. have seen a play adaptation... Of Reservoir Dogs. Really? Yes. Was and it good? And it was awesome. I'm sure it was. But are we ranking films here or plays? Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. So we are ranking films, but like... Okay, but Reservoir... Both but the films at your bottom In the context of our favorites, not as if we were to consider these as plays. I would like to say Reservoir Dogs has a lot more scenes outside of the warehouse than Hateful Eight ever had outside of the haberdashery. Yeah. Sure. True. I just think it's it's illuminating that the two at the bottom of your list are the two that are like smallest in scope but i think that's a good thing like i think when tarantino can like really narrow down his vision and just really hammer home like the dialogue and the plot and the characters like i think that's when he shines the most disagree (laughs) maybe that's where he shines the most but that's maybe not where i revel the most i would also say movie watching those are all set in one location, mostly. That they're the wow. most dialogue. Good observation. Well, no, <laughs> no, no. no. Because of that, they are all the most dialogue heavy. Yes. So that's also interesting. Yeah. Most boring, for sure. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's keep this rolling. Jay, number eight. Uh, number eight, Django Unchained. Yeah. It was, uh, it was clearly his most gratuitous not uh, like i said i enjoy all of his movies so no hating but um down there like it was my least favorite tarantino flick until i saw once upon a time in hollywood and uh, django's really good but it's clearly like him taking robert rodriguez and like meshing it into his dialogue his gratuitous, I feel like that is, uh, you know, aside from Inglorious Bastards, I feel like Hateful Eight is when he's really starting to go towards, like, that ridiculous splatter effect of blood and... Django, you mean? And, uh, yeah, Django Unchained. And, um, yeah, and that's extremely comical. Just ridiculously, no realism whatsoever, like, especially in the final scene. Not saying I didn't enjoy it, but, yeah. I mean, like, you know, I like the realist Quentin. Also, especially given, like, the, the actual context of the film, it being, you know, revolving around slaves and a slave well, I mean, revenge. I like, thought that whole thing was awesome. 
Like, I love, I his love arc, seeing the, his, the Django's character arc, you mean? Like, the revenge thingy that was awesome? Well, I mean, it's just a, a regular revenge flick, but, I mean, like, the whole, with the ridiculous use of the, of the N-word... I'm not going to say it on here. Tarantino loves <laughs> Right. But, I mean, clearly Django and Chain was like his outlet yeah. as a white man to just fucking say it as much as he wants in that yeah. film. But, yeah. Yeah. N- uh, number eight. Was it number eight? Yeah. Number yeah. eight. Number eight. Django. My number eight, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Not going to elaborate. People know my feelings. We just talked about it. Uh, big, Like I said, the biggest upside. So, we'll see. Um what happens after uh, I revisit this one down the road? But as of right now, it's wait. That would be number seven, right? Didn't I say number eight? Because I did. Yeah, Death Proof, Jackie Brown. Okay, so we're, we're on, on num- seven now. I'm on no, seven. we're number. We're on number eight. You we just all did, did eight. eight. He's on seven. I'm, I'm starting. All oh, right, seven. restarting the restarting. The so what's going in Hollywood? Is number seven, and uh, we're gonna have to. I'll see if I can stall a little bit because Paris is uh in the bathroom. Um. Yeah, I I don't really know what to say given that we just spent like an hour and 15 minutes talking about this movie but i don't think you have to defend once upon a time in hollywood but maybe we can talk a little bit more about Django. <laughs> looking <laughs> um, at you jay <laughs> so uh yeah no i mean Django has some great writing great writing um obviously he was trying to relish in the whole slave labor era uh but yeah i mean it was good but it was really starting to lean towards that comedic violence. Over the top, like Big grotesque. Time. Very bloody. I agree. I feel like he didn't really have like maybe much to say necessarily, but like He wanted to really make a Western. He loved the idea of doing like Eighth his Eighth. own Western and then like But it was like a southern western. <laughs> he loves revenge, so integrating all that. Like right. it felt very Tarantino, but it also felt like kind of slight at the same time but because he's dealing with race it makes it feel more important than it actually is (laughs) (laughs) it was 100 percent tarantino for sure (laughs) when he was starting to get stylized (laughs) okay so my number seven is once upon a time in hollywood uh we talked about that a lot so i don't really necessarily need to get into it mainly the big thing for me was high expectations and a lower result than I was expecting. I would imagine that. So I also wanted to say that this is actually technically tied for the next pick as my like number six. This is maybe slightly lower, which is why I put it number seven, but really it's tied for my number six spot. All right, so seven for me is Django, um, kind of for the same reasons as Jay. Um, it is a little silly. Like, Calvin Candy is very silly. Samuel Jackson, his character just looks silly. Like, the whole, like, balding effects or makeup don't really work. Um, and, like, just, like, his super thick gray eyebrows. Like, there's just something about his character that kind of, like, just throws me off. And then Christoph Waltz is pretty goofy too in it. Like, it is kind of goofy, but it's very entertaining. Yeah. And like, I like the whole like time period and him doing his own Western, but at the same time, I feel like it is maybe a little 
overlong, but that's also just also Tarantino. It's very self-indulgent. We haven't really said that, but I feel like we all feel that at least. For sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's a fun movie. It's just, it's not my favorite, not my least favorite. All right, my number seven is Hateful Eight. Now, I actually loved this movie. Um, I felt like the entire movie was one giant tension scene. Yeah. And it was, it was fucking awesome. Like the, the only scene I disliked was in the very beginning when, um, you know, Kurt Russell's in the wagon with the prisoner lady and, uh, and he runs into the dude out in the snow who's like sitting on top of the dead guy or whatever. Right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and like, as soon as that scene started, I knew I was going to be sitting in for like 10 minutes of just this fucking bickering back and forth. But that was the only scene I felt like it was just the, uh, quintessential Quentin dialogue. Quintessential, if you Quintessential. <laughs> and, um, yeah, but the, I mean, the rest of the movie, I was, fucking enthralled like i went and saw it in the theaters and we did the whole uh he did like the whole roadshow experience and gave us the booklet and we had the intermission in the center yeah, yeah. and whatnot wait i'm not familiar with that what was the roadshow i mean it was just it was just um i mean the movie was so freaking long it was like three and a half hours long and uh, so in the Roadshow edition, when it first premiered, I don't know if it was like that for the whole time that it was in the theaters. No, no, no. This was specifically, it was a 70 Premier? millimeter Roadshow. Right, right, when right. When it first came out, it didn't go to all cities. But you got to see a screen in 70 It was premiere night. Limited engagement. Premiere night. With an intermission. In, like in between. It was like a 10 minute yeah. intermission. I went and saw that and I didn't get the fucking booklet. And really? I'm still upset Man, yeah, that to sucks. this day. Yeah. Yeah, do you it still was, I still have my book, that? and yes. I actually took one from another person. Oh, you have two. Yeah, I got two oh, with well. different characters. I tried to trade different my characters. Travis is trying to say that he wants one of the books, <laughs> right? Because the center of the booklet's got a pull out, like a pull out of a uh, uh, one of the characters from the movie. And uh, I had, I got Samuel Jackson and someone else, and these up on and I day. was trying to find someone with a Kurt Russell center. And trade him for it, but no. no I threw mine in the trash. Shut, Shut up. up. <laughs> what am I going to do Did you really it? throw it away? Yes. God damn. Damn it. I love it. Some people like to collect things. It is really cool. I don't like to collect things? Because I have yeah, I and collect many things. That is why, like, that's weird why you didn't pick, save it. Criterion trash, <laughs> dude. Like, what? It's not as cool as they're making it out to be. It but it's like, it's it's still a limited edition. Yeah, it's exclusive, Dog. Exclusivity is huge. Well, now it's... To that know, shit, in a dude, landfill 20 somewhere. years down the road, that's going to be worth something. Some garbage man somewhere is like, damn, I got a sweet find you made from this day, Matthew Sabrero's. I got this banana-covered <laughs> hateful eight booklet. Um, oh, man, they sell this thing anywhere from... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really is all over the place, though, as far as what people are asking for on eBay. How much? Anywhere from, like... Five dollars to fifty dollars. Oh, nice. Whoa. I need to pick cool, one of these cool, up. Cool, cool. Pretend like I got. Well, one. I, I definitely <laughs> I got the centerfold. Can I suggest that you get the uh, five dollar one? <laughs> I'm gonna get the one that has Kurt Russell, and then 
That's probably the I'll $50 trade one. <laughs> I'll trade you both of mine. The five dollar one. one's probably fucking Damien Bashir. <laughs> I don't know if anyone can see this out there in listener land, but I'm wearing a shirt that has Kurt Russell's face on it okay, as so Snake Plissken. When you said that you really wanted the Kurt Russell one, I was gonna be like, because that's on your shirt. But then I was like, I'm not a hundred percent sure that that's Kurt Russell. That's Escape from New York, Kurt Russell. Yeah, this is there Kurt Russell. Escape from New York. I haven't seen this. Haven't uh, get out of here. Is he your favorite yeah, actor? Yeah. <laughs> is Kurt Russell your favorite actor? Uh, he's my man. Okay. Kurt Russell, I, w- I would make love to him and have more babies. Yeah, he it's is, like is, Ryan Gosling is my man, but sure. he's not my favorite actor. Right, right. No, I mean, Kurt Russell's my man. I love almost every single fucking movie he's in. He's not the greatest actor in the world, but goddamn, I love that sweet face. Joaquin Phoenix is my man. He's a great actor. I don't know if he's the best actor, but he's my man. I also he's don't good. know if you'd want to marry him. but Oh, I definitely want to marry him. I mean, he's I in would spanking. not want to be good married luck. to Joaquin Phoenix. Good luck with Joaquin. Okay, so uh, number... <laughs> what did you... What did, what was we your were just on number seven. So whoever yeah. went... Wait, it's, it's Matt's I don't know how far seven. you guys got. I Is think it my turn? Just my number you seven did Jango. was Hateful Eight. You did Django. No, okay. Hateful Eight was my number seven. Do what? Django. Yeah, you're six. Seven. Django was my number seven. Sorry, you my list is yes. fucked up. So now this because is I've my included actual yes. Tarantino works, and these people don't accept that. <laughs> number six, Inglorious Bastards, by far the most overrated Tarantino movie. It fucking drags. Uh, the Blast best the part, the only standout scenes in this movie are the two. There's two main scenes. The initial scene where Hans Landa goes to the farm looking for the Jewish family. Yeah, that's that's the best scene. In the maybe movie. maybe the best, best of his, his filmography. So that's a great scene. <laughs> I wouldn't even say the best scene in the movie. <laughs> the other best scene in the movie is in the basement yeah. where they're doing the rendezvous with maybe Bridget Van's hammer smart. <laughs> yeah, that was okay. A great scene. In, Not even the best. Oh yeah, scene in in the, in the bar you're talking about. In yeah, the in the bar where oh, they do the they're trying like those are two of the best scenes in any Tarantino movie. But all of the stuff surrounding it. This, I'm gonna be exaggerate here, but I'm not gonna lie. One of the reasons why I dislike this movie so I, I like. I don't want to hear. Is it because Eli Roth? Yes, is in it? Oh fucking bear Jew. They build <laughs> up. They build up the he, bear Jew, and then like, out comes fuck Eli Roth. Are you kidding me? He this looks, guy. First of all, he looks massive in that movie. Second of all, you yes, can't. He does. You can't put your stupid biasy of him. Being a director on him as an actor, there are two totally said. separate things. Eli Roth is an He's actor. In five minutes Great. of the movie. Great. If Eli that. Roth is a director. Purposefully bad, I think. <laughs> but. but oh, no, if that's true. <laughs> okay, then just bad. But Eli Roth is an actor. Like, great. You mean so, justifiably bad, maybe? But not purpose. I think all of the surrounding <laughs> bastards are all bad actors. Fucking BJ Novak is in there. BJ Eli, Roth, Eli Roth. Sam is great. Levine. He's great. They're it's fine. All great. Uh, the movie has some of the highest highs in Tarantino's career. Some of the lowest lows, I think, uh, is very problematic. It's like The Last Jedi of Yeah, it was Tarantino. when he was becoming especially stylized. <laughs> Should be five stars. <laughs> Uh, not a big fan. I just rewatched this one. It went down even further. It, it was mid tier. Wow. Now it's bottom tier Tarantino. Matt, you were bottom tier. Bottom tier Tarantino. <laughs> 
Matt is bottom tier host of Cinephile <laughs> Digest, which makes him three of three. <laughs> um, my number six is The Hateful Eight, which we have talked about a bunch already. Um, all I want to say on this one is that I really enjoyed it. I think that if another person had directed it, I actually maybe would have enjoyed it more. Because, again, my expectations were maybe a little higher than it delivered. It's still my number six because it is still a quality movie. I think everything eight and above on the on my list is high quality. Everyone should see. Um, I thought it dragged a little bit, but overall was a good flick. What a dilemma to be in as Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> that all your movies are good, yeah. except for one, yeah. which is Death Proof, the which only, is garbage. The only criticism against his movies is, it wasn't what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like, but that actually might be why Once Upon a Time in Hollywood actually fell flat for me, because if it had been anyone else, I maybe wouldn't have had as high as expectations. Exactly. Exactly. It didn't suck. It just wasn't Pulp Fiction Dude, level. It just wasn't good. Like there was no. nothing. Dialogue I probably shouldn't have brought that, that up. <laughs> let's go back to your initial criticism of it. It was worse than any other normal movie, which you haven't defined yet. Oh no, you did. Any other movie that's not yeah. Tarantino? <laughs> All right, let's let's keep this no, no. We're not okay, even halfway sorry, down sorry. yet. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so you guys can put me on your kill list now. Kill Bill is next. <laughs> Number seven. This, now, mind uh, you, this six, isn't right? top six. movies. No. Like, these are Tarantino movies, six. so these are still all good. Number Nine, six. Eight. This is five for me. What? Six. No, this is supposed to be six. six. Oh, I think I skipped one. God damn it. Where? You're literally looking I know, at a list. I know. I know. I, what did you skip? So, Death Proof was supposed to be eight. I didn't talk about Death Proof. No, you didn't. Wait, what was so, your seven then? Django. Okay, so just start start at nine. Walk us up to where we are now. So, hatefully, I'm gonna go from right. Okay, hate. Goddamn. The worst Tarantino. Start there. Just catch us up. Catch us up. Hatefully, Reservoir Dogs, Death Proof, Django, Kill Bill. Okay, so you skipped. Okay, so so I skipped Death Proof. So now you're That's ahead. <laughs> this is fun. No, 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 we no. are going We're not... off the rails. On are we really ahead? Crazy if I'm really ahead now, huh? Yeah, you really... went ahead because now. Because you skipped Death Proof. Right. Okay, well. So which one are you going to talk about? Death Proof. <laughs> <laughs> the, one, the one I didn't talk. I ranked him as 10, though, because I'd ranked him in Letterboxd. In Letterboxd. Kill Bill. There yeah. is the whole bloody affair on Letterboxd. But I didn't do that. So I have 10 movies on my list. Travis, this is why you never trust Letterboxd. You always, always, always trust. Always. No, because when I tried to do my list of top films of 2018, they were like, cool, here are your number five films and like, or your five star films. And they weren't, they were in watch order. That sounds like a personal problem. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. I am high key upset about that. Okay. So we'll, we'll come back. Sounds so like just a filtering about, problem. Since it's your turn, talk about death. Sorry. Proof, and then we'll come back around the table. Sorry. So I completely ruined this whole exercise. Um, <laughs> death Proof is better than Reservoir Dogs and Hateful Eight, but not as good as Django. Wait, I er, thought you said it was sorry. number eight. Wait. <laughs> God, it's better than Hateful Eight. Your number eight <laughs> film is better than The Hateful Eight. Thank that you for watching the Cinephiles Digest. <laughs> yeah, thanks for watching. <laughs> okay, I'll just talk about Death Proof. Let's, this is ridiculous. Uh <laughs> 
Death Proof is fun. Love the car stuff. Uh, love the uh, the female leadness of it. <laughs> Why not? They weren't like fleshed out characters. They were just there to be. Yeah, but it was trying to re. It was trying to recreate yeah. a film from a just like particular Jackie Brown era, was a take on a black exploitation film. No, it wasn't. Right, but it was a okay. So just like Jackie Brown was a take on all black exploitation films. No. Yes, it is. I mean, he cast fucking no. Pam Greer in as uh, doesn't in the matter. Yeah, so there is saying- influence from black exploitation. <laughs> okay, you can't I'm deny. Sure. That. Sorry. I'm sorry. If you're not saying that Jackie Brown <laughs> should be considered in a black exploitation genre, then you're fucking wrong, dude. Yeah, it's, uh- it's not called Blackie Brown. It may. It's called it, Jackie <laughs> Brown. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> 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 so I this whole thing. <laughs> okay, the fucking Death Proof. It rocks. Wrap There's up, car man. chases. No, no. The, the fuck, of course, the car movie. There's also lots of cars in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's probably why you liked it. Just oh, fucking yeah. Brad Pitt driving around oh, yeah. L.A. back when there wasn't traffic. To be fair, there were some cool cars. I was actually looking at like the long shots in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and all the cars were fitting of the era, and I really appreciate that. And they were all very big cool. time. They were awesome. No, I just I just think Death Proof is a fun movie. It's it, it's got some sexy women. It's, it's got fine. Kurt Russell. Yeah, he's somewhat of like a like a Kurt Russell, a slasher icon. I will say he's one of my favorites. Tarantino characters. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. All right, I don't think he was. I I don't think he was setting like his bar very high when he was making the movie. So I feel like if people who are saying it's like, oh, it's not that great, I don't think he was trying to make a great, profound work. He was just trying to do something, and he did it. And guess what? He didn't make a great, profound work. He made a great Mm -hmm. grindhouse flick. That was his goal. <laughs> All right, Jay. All right, let's get us back on track, Jay. What are we on? Number six? <laughs> I yes, I think. <laughs> yeah. Sure. All right. I, mean, I just confirm. talked about Hateful Eight. Um, so number six would be Inglorious Bastards. I thought it was a fantastic reinterpretation of history. Um, almost every single scene in that movie was high tension for me. Oh yeah. It was amazing in that sense. Yes. And uh, I think, <laughs> I think his, I think his writing was uh, very top notch in *Inglorious Bastards*. Fair. I would say all the scenes with Hans Landa, tense as fuck in that movie. Very much so. I think he's one of Tarantino's best characters. Also, one of the best performances in a Tarantino film. Best performance by Christoph Waltz. Yes. By a long shot. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, we're on number five now, right? Uh, number five. I believe point. we're on number five. <laughs> yeah, we are on number five. No, because I just did Inglorious Bastards. Number five. We're on five. Yeah, we're on five. He's number five. He's no, the, I'm the star. He's the star. Number five. No, I start. We this is we're out of control here. Uh, Django Unchained. Number five. Um, also, don't love this movie. It's a lot of fun. Um, I do think it's one of the more like hyper stylized films in Tarantino's filmography, which I do think works both to its benefit and its detriment. Just stylized in a Robert Rodriguez kind of way. Oh, dude, Tarantino (laughs) can't come close to. We're talking style. He doesn't touch Rodriguez, but um, (laughs) it's a very entertaining movie. I think Jamie Foxx is great as Django. I do think 
it feels a little bit like Christoph Waltz is kind of rehashing rehashing the Hans Landa shit, but it's just not as good. Definitely. You know what I mean? Some really cool scenes, some what great is it called? dialogue, the Tooth Fairy or something, something like that. I don't fucking know. Uh, I've only seen this movie twice. It's been a while. I was gonna rewatch it, but it's not on Netflix anymore. So uh, Django is my number five. Jinko is also my number five. <laughs> We're very close so far. We are. Um, did you guys collaborate? We did not. I made mine. <laughs> yeah. So here's the fun thing, actually. Uh, Matt texted me at 12.56 a.m. this morning. I got it at 9 o'clock when I woke up. And he said, oh, by the way, we're, rank- we're ranking all the Tarantino films. So, like, you should do that. And I was like. Okay, thanks. It's an all-day assignment, right? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> um, but we did not collaborate other than him telling me. I'm sorry, I'm hiccuping like really bad. Probably the worst <laughs> thing for a podcast. I know. I'm like, hiccup. <laughs> you know what works for me is a spoonful of peanut butter. I hate peanut butter. Oh, well, I won't pass my trick on to you. Then. And banana and eggs <laughs> you know what they say a spoonful of peanut butter makes the medicine go down i don't think Boom. that's how they say a spoonful <laughs> of Film sugar history. makes the medicine go down and honestly i would rather take five spoonfuls of sugar than one spoonful of peanut oh, butter that sounds awful five spoonfuls i fucking of hate sugar. peanut butter it makes me gag all right number anyway. five to trevor travis oh. Hey. Oh. <laughs> you know what's funny about Trevor is that my well not my Chelsea's aunt's boyfriend decided to call me Trevor on the last day of the retreat and then the rest of the family thought it was funny to call me Trevor uh, oh don't you love that actually just dogpile on something funny <laughs> the thing is is I don't really take offense to it and I don't really mind mostly because I grew up with a brother named Tyler so I have been called Tyler my whole life therefore I don't care and therefore Trevor does not face me Number five, Kill Bill, Volume <laughs> One and Two. Uh, I'm not going to defend or deny its greatness because it's in the middle of my list, and we're talking about Tarantino and <laughs> smack dab in the middle, right? Yeah. So my relationship with this saga slash affair is, I've seen Kill Bill Volume One three times. First two times, well. First time, thought it was amazing. Like, just a great action flick. So much good action. Second time I saw it, thought it was, you know, pretty much on par with the first watch. Third time I watched it, which was like within the last week, I felt like it was losing a little something. And I think it goes back to my growing hatred of the 90s, early 2000s aesthetic. It's gross. I don't think it looks. I don't think it looks bad. No, it doesn't look bad, but there's just something about. The wardrobe, the way it's like the the mise en scene, the the scenery. <laughs> the, the <mise> en <laughs> That's Travis's fancy moment. I actually agree with you on that. There's just something about it. I really like Kill like Bill the 90s, early two, 2000s. It's gross. It is gross. That is a gross time for fashion and style. Yes, it is gross. We grew up I'm in a sorry. gross period. Gladiator came out in the year 2000. Gross. The year of our lords. Grossly Gladiator. overrated. That was a period piece. Kill Bill. They were stylized of the time. But 
Gladiator is stylized like an early 2000 movie, and it is kind of gross. <laughs> Love it. Those, right. Disagree. Disagree. Strongly disagree. Come on. Those time lapse fucking the, where, skies. Like, the, the lower gross. frame rate. Like, yeah. Gladiator is one of the best films of all time. I will not hear any comments. Yes. Sure. Agreed. Okay. Number five. Yes. Number five. <laughs> Jay, let's hear it. Number five. Death Proof. I thought uh, Death Proof is fucking awesome. I fucking Ayo. love that movie. I watch it all the time. Uh, Bing, I mean, <laughs> granted, the only issue I have with that movie is the second half. The second half dialogue is, man, I'm fucking like meandering through the second half, blah, blah, blah. But like what makes up for it is seeing them in that little diner and seeing like Kurt Russell sitting at the bar fucking looking over his shoulder at him and that is actually a big scene that i look forward to in that whole fucking segment i like seeing that every single time and the final uh car chase scene it's so cool with zoe bell strapped to the hood come on oh my god she's a horrible actress horrible actress she is a fucking stunt double she is an actress i mean she is not she's a stunt person she's a stunt person don't cast her as a fucking actress what i mean fuck i like that he gives her her do and and she comes as a stunt, off as a stunt coordinator and just like cliff booth's character stunt people do not get their due and that's his way of saying zoe bell get your shit zoe right bell up front is a wonderful is a legend stunt person <laughs> and she comes that off- scene in the bar fucking great that movie is trash though uh and, and and she comes off as a legitimate like exploitation actress yeah like, it was so so fantastic i will agree that she's not a great actress or actor whatever you want to call her but <laughs> i that shit I, don't matter. I like the fact that he gives her screen presence for sure i, I like the the concepts or like sentiment i also it. really enjoy that because are you going to really let that little aspect of the entire film ruin it for you? And the whole point of the film is that it's campy as fuck. Yeah, we're not going for Oscars here. I really enjoy Matt the campy <laughs> cult level film. I also hate that movie, so I don't want to say too much on it. Number four. <laughs> <laughs> Number four. Monitor. The Hateful Eight, one of the greatest achievements in Tarantino's uh, entire filmography. Nonstop three hours of tension, wonderful character development. This feels like Tarantino at his most mature, mature. Ooh, I don't know and, about uh, that. I love it. There's some scenes of unexpected horrific violence. Going back to my gore hound. I disagree roots. with the ma- the maturity. I feel like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Jackie Brown are more mature than Hateful Eight. And we'll just... I would say put a stamp on that. <laughs> I would say that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is definitely more mature than The Hateful Eight. I don't think that makes it better. Sure. I think I think you're right that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is his most mature film, but it's less focused than The Hateful Mature Eight. is a fact. Better is an opinion. So True. we'll move on. So <laughs> love it. <laughs> One of the best. One of the best. Number four, Hateful Eight, Paris. <laughs> Okay, my number four is Inglorious Bastards. We've talked about it quite a bit. But I do just want to touch on, I think that the female lead in that film is phenomenal. 
I think that she really drives the performances in Inglorious Bastards. I think that also, like we've mentioned before, the first couple scenes, like with the farmhouse, where he's walking over the floorboards and there's Jewish people hidden underneath the floorboards. It's very tense. And it's a very interesting way to set up a movie where you already have established like a lot of characters, tension, plot, like without even really realizing it. I think that the relationships in that movie are really strong, whether it be between the army, whatever you want to call it, militia base, and between the main protagonist and her, you know, partner, all of the relationships in that really strong. I think all the acting is really strong in that. And the character development is amazing, as well as kind of some of that wish fulfillment that we talked about earlier that are in some of Tarantino's films with the historical, like, Mm-mm-mm. fiction of changing, like, actually murdering Hitler is fun. That is always fun. <laughs> Uh, real quick, I didn't say this when I talked about Inglorious Bastards, but I think Melanie Loren's character, who is, uh, she's Shosh- the one at the beginning. Shoshana? Shoshana, yeah. Uh, I think she has one of the best arcs, like character arcs in any Tarantino movie. Like, I her, think that, I think that whole movie is about her. It, I, I would agree, yeah. And I think her arc is great. And also, this is a really weird small point, but when, uh, Hans Landa, when she's running across the field and he's like pointing the gun at her and he stops, the way he delivers the line, like he oh says, like, Au revoir, Shoshana. Just the way he says that, I'm like, I love it. I don't know it why. It gave Honestly, him something I don't know why, to but... look forward to, obviously. It was it like a love. Him, it made him relevant. And when he comes back later in the film, it made you like, oh my God, I'm so excited that he's still here and like not just in this small scene. Like it made him relevant and interesting. And like we talked about before, the scene where they're in the basement bar where he does the uh what's his face does the three instead of the three the american three versus the german three is also such a beautifully awesome little soul exactly sounds like this should be higher on your list it should be i also (laughs) value these films are so high (laughs) this is a four for me because the other three are even more amazing can't wait can't wait to hear him everything four and above for me is just top notch all right travis what's your number four number four jackie brown one of his fucking wacky brown am i right Uh, no you're wrong uh great acting great soundtrack great slow burn Great plot and story for all you plot and story freaks. Boom. I don't fucking remember. Um, <laughs> I also don't it's, remember. <laughs> it's a very sweet and mature movie, just like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But, of course, QT was way ahead of his time when he made this. Too far. Wait, I just realized his initials <laughs> were Too far. QT. In fact, he, he <laughs> like was actually... QT? That movie is still like too little, far. Like a little cutie patootie. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. You, you guys should watch it again. It's very underrated. Very. That's what people say. Very underrated. Considerably. Uh, my number four will be Kill Bill. Fantastic. Fucking love both of them. In fact, Kill Bill is actually... I mean, obviously, I remember um, Pulp Fiction coming out when I was younger, but I was too young. My parents wouldn't let me watch that shit. Uh, Jackie Brown I never really heard about. Until I uh, saw, I was old enough to just 
and I, I had my driver's license, and I and I actually skipped school to go see the premiere of Kill Bill Volume Two. Oh shit! Yeah, wow. yeah. Actually, and I how talked, old are you? I know we've made jokes. Like uh, oh, how old, old am man, I? Um, no, I'm 33. <laughs> but uh, he is very old. <laughs> No, yeah, I, I talked a couple of my uh, <laughs> classmates into coming with me, and we all fucking bailed out of school and went and saw Kill Bill Volume 2, and they all hated it. But I thought it was awesome. Kill Bill Volume 2 is a different movie than Volume 1, but still fucking phenomenal, and I, and I actually see him as one single movie. So all of those, Just number like four. the man himself. Correct. <laughs> as what? we would view it as one film oh yes yes yeah <laughs> okay uh what are we on number th- number three yeah, cool red phone did i ever it's not a case it's not a case no 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 the actual phone wait that's raw dog phone red i'm raw dog in it yeah like you said look at it wait I'm concerned that you're raw dog in it, especially as someone who drops their Welcome phone Welcome to the Why iPhone podcast. <laughs> because I don't drop my phone a lot, ever. Nope. Matt paints the town red and raw dogs it. That's his <laughs> way of Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> I feel like I need to let Haley, your live-in girlfriend, know about your uh, casualness and your raw dogging it. <laughs> your raw doggedness. <laughs> Number three, Reservoir Raw Dogs. Reservoir <laughs> Raw Dogs. Uh, love it. Dialogue off the chart. Fucking phenomenal. All the scenes with Steve Buscemi as Mr. Pink. Kill. You got Michael uh, Madsen as Mr. Blonde. He kills. The mystery. You don't know what's going on until the end. It's just a masterful example of screenplay of indie writing, filmmaking of screenplay writing <laughs> this is where he proved he came onto the scene he came out with arguably oh, his yeah. best screenplay arguably arguably for sure <laughs> came out hot made an incredible film with a Never bunch of character since. actors he put some people on the map after this you got your tim roths you got your michael madsons uh incredibly entertaining dialogue is off the charts it's amazing i love reservoir dogs so, in true fashion, apparently Matt and I secretly collaborated because number three is also Reservoir Dogs for me. You mean Raw Dogs? <laughs> Reservoir Dogs. Raw Dogs Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs. of the Reservoir, <laughs> I believe is the full title. Um, Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Doges. <laughs> um, Do you take offense to this, Jay? <laughs> We're we're teetering on the line, but <laughs> so Reservoir Dogs is one of Tarantino's best, I think, because in your opinion, no. just sorry. shut up. Trash. It is one of his best, period. <laughs> really, because I think there are some really standout scenes. I think it's extraordinarily impressive what he can do with just dialogue alone. Most of the movie takes place in one setting. Most of it is just dialogue. Characters playing out the scene. I think it's extraordinarily impressive. We talked about earlier how this could be a play because it's kind of a mostly one room setting. 
I th- I always find that impressive when movies can really do that in one setting. And especially for someone who highlights dialogue and violence, I think that this is a very, very intimate look at that. One of my favorite scenes is the stuck in the middle with you where he... This beautiful serial killer <laughs> stomps around the room, chops off a man's ear. Not only a man, but a police officer. Chops off I mean, a police. That's what he was getting off on. Criminal chops off a police officer's ear, sings "Stuck in the Middle with You." Can you hear me? While it's playing on this amazing radio station that actually, from what I've heard, Tarantino kind of made up himself and like picked all the songs and was very, of course he did, made the radio like what he wanted. And that narrator, that DJ on the radio is the guy on the couch from Half Baked. Really? I didn't know that. That's actually really cool. Fun piece of Tarantino trivia for y'all. Um... That is one of my favorite scenes of any of his movies of all time. And I think it's just a really poignant way to like have violence, comedy, a good soundtrack, meld them all into one. And also just like really portray the ethos of the movie in one scene. All right. My number three is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I have already (laughs) hailed its praises, and I can't wait for you guys to come on over in the future. I don't know how long it will take for you guys to come on over, but just you wait. This will peak at, like, number five for me. I would also agree that this is probably going to head up higher, but peak at number five for me as well. Fair enough. Jay. Uh, so uh, my number three, and this will go quick, Reservoir Dogs. Everything you guys said, mm-hmm. exactly. Fantastic film. One of his best. Deal. <laughs> I did actually also want to just mention the beginning diner scene where they're talking about tipping. Great it scene. Is one of my favorite of... Tarantino, I feel like it really showcases His Tarantino's dialogue. <laughs> no, no, Tarantino's dialogue in that scene is some of the best, and I think the way he writes that scene is like I'm kidding. His best expression of his dialogue. No, his acting is terrible. Yes. We, we can all yes. get on more of that. But, but what's so the dialogue in that scene is so fantastic, but what's even more fantastic is the fact that it was all in one shot. Yes. There yeah. are no cuts. The way that stays. entire first scene is one shot going around the table. Oh, yeah. He's a baller. It was before he got super <laughs> showy. <laughs> it's a baller move. Uh, <laughs> number two? Number two? Number two. Pulp Fiction. An all-time classic. There's a reason why it's his most well-known and revered film. It is so many. Well, it was scenes. that heroin overdose scene. That's what that's what catapulted him. So many Halloween costumes ever since. <laughs> uh, just so many iconic scenes. So many memes. The cultural relevance of Pulp Fiction. Is... But it's it's also particularly relevant because it's one of the first, maybe not one of the first times, but it it is a prime example of. A director making a quote unquote mainstream movie. I mean, it kind of broke out into the mainstream. It's part of like the pop culture lexicon these days, but he was it's the trailblazer. Very, it's very unconventional 
the way that it deals with plot because the plot is presented out of order but the way it lands makes it more impactful well there is so there are underlying plots oh there are many plots. There's lots Jay, of plots. And it's just about individual stories. Jay, don't don't make my argument for me. With <laughs> so, okay, so here's... <laughs> there <laughs> is no plot there. It so is... Te- it is <clears throat> sorry. No, no, that's, that's not true. The movie is technically all plot, and I'll explain why. So, like, from, like, a film studies perspective, story... Oh. Is like the chronological. No, 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 no. Just wait. Let him. Let just him wait. Let just him wait. Who was your professor? Jack Story. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. This guy, he's on fucking fire today. So. You're a comedy genius today. Story. The story is the point A to point B, the actual chronological yeah. order. That is story. The reason why Pulp Fiction That's not feels... Film, the reason why Pulp Fiction feels so <laughs> revolutionary is because plot is the way that it's actually... The story is presented to the, the viewer. So the chronology of Pulp Fiction is all over the place. It jumps between different storylines. It jumps backward and forward in time. And that wasn't something that you saw very often, at least not in films that made it through into the mainstream. Well, so there, think, there is no plot, though. It's all plot. Okay, what what's the plot of the movie? Well, no, I'm talking like the... Plot is just the yeah. way the scenes are exactly. presented. Exactly. What is plot? Yeah, but there, there, there is Film's no biggest question. <laughs> definitive plot of Pulp Fiction. So I think I agree with both of you. By the way, there. It's, I mean, no, honestly, I get. What, I get what honestly, I agree with both of you. As, as an exercise, <laughs> the movie is all plot. But I get what you're saying uh, in that. But right, there's but what, not really if, like if, a, if it's all plot. What is the plot? Well, no, I think you're interpreting plot like story. The story of the movie is that you have three, I think it's three separate stories that, that converge, right? Should you I have your, your Vincent and whatever, whatever, uh, Samuel Jackson's character's name is. I don't remember. This is a future trivia question. You Vincent something. Know. You have that, you have that story. Vincent thread. Vega. Vincent, well, Vincent no. Vega, but I don't remember, uh, Come Samuel on. Jackson's character. The family, the family jewels. Jules. Jewel, okay. Jules. Well, whatever. You have that storyline, then you have the Bruce Willis boxer storyline. And then you have, um, I guess there's multiple, but it, the way that it's broke, the story itself is broken up. I mean, it's about like, it's not, there deals is, gone wrong and, uh, and, and hit jobs. You're and right. Money. No. That means you're there's right, no plot. It is kind it's of just fragmented. situations like that are presented in one single Once film. upon a time in Hollywood. No, but there is a <laughs> plot in in Holly in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at least. No. Yeah, the whole plot is that it's these buddies becoming closer and closer and it's a character interpretation. I There's more to it, but on the basic level, sure, I would yes. say on the basic level, that is the same amount of plot that's in Pulp Fiction, in that it's right. two crime bad guys but if you were to explain, buddy buddy exploring their thing, I think explaining the plot to Pulp Fiction would be similar to explaining the plot to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yes. in that the plots would both be meandering and it would be difficult to explain. Yeah, but they're not even close to the same thing. But the the plot in the plot <laughs> in, 
fiction is hey. much, much better. According According to my to rankings, that's also true. They're pretty close. The plot in yeah. Once Upon <laughs> a Time in Hollywood <laughs> is at least mostly chronological. There are flashbacks, but for the most part, it progresses forward. Pulp Fiction jumps would, all over the place. I would slightly disagree in that, yes, I think Pulp Fiction jumps all over the place in more of an unexpected way. Well, it, but that's because upon, it doesn't have a plot. Well, but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood <laughs> does jump all over the place in that it follows different characters doing their own thing on the same day. So like, especially fiction, the though. day where... Sharon Tate watches a movie. Brad Pitt's character goes to the Manson family ranch. Uh, Rick Dalton acts on a movie set. Those are all things that are happening at the same time on the same day. Not that I'm arguing that one has a plot or one doesn't, but I'm saying if you're taking that argument, plot-wise, they are both pretty similar and then they fall. Storylines that are happening at the same time, the way they're just show to the audience is different and that is by definition the plot is the way it's presented to the audience anyway i love pulp fiction it's a great movie that's my number two paris okay so my number two is kill bill volumes one and two i was having a hard time with this list because i was trying to figure out if kill bill should be separated or not as we decided when we got here it should not be but we didn't decide the man himself decided. Well, and that's and that's how I was. That's going. me. <laughs> Tarantino considers Kill Bill to be one film. And he considers Once Upon a exactly. He <laughs> considers Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to be his ninth film, which would make Kill Bill one film, which is great because that's also how I see him. Because even when I was considering those two different movies, they were exactly tied for me, because one and two are basically the same. As far as ratings to me, I we've talked quite a bit about it, so I don't want to touch on that too much, but they are phenomenal. I really, really enjoy stylistically how the movie is laid out. There are many strong female characters. It is probably one of the few of his movies that actually passes the Bechdel test. I think that... Kill Bill is one of gratuitous violence, but it's done in a way that serves the plot. So I feel like it really doesn't feel gratuitous. Kill Bill is just wholly well-made, well-acted, very interesting, very powerful, very empowering. It's just, it's a phenomenal flick. Number two, Pulp Fiction. Do I need to say more? No, Jay. No. Nope. Number two. <laughs> <laughs> Number two. Pulp Fiction. All right. There you have it. I don't know what your number one. I haven't been keeping track. I don't know. Come on, man. Come are. on. If you know me. Well, you know. I, I would go against the grain on this instance, but uh, I've been you forced to. You can give your to... piece about... Oh, sure. I'll, I'll give my I was mostly joking. We didn't We didn't have to skip over Travis. <laughs> I, was just, I don't know if you had more to say or not. Oh, but... no. I mean, what it's, else is it's there It's fucking Pulp say? Fiction. No, we I said mean, it. We said it. Pulp Fiction is amazing. Yeah. I mean, everyone Classic. said it's amaziness. It's, a, it's a hardcore <laughs> crime um, situational thriller. Yeah, I don't need to defend it or praise it. It's 
probably his most important work, but it's and not my and favorite. one of the most iconic <laughs> pop culture movies of all time. Yeah. Yes. yes, which is crazy because Tarantino tries to mimic the most iconic pop culture things of all time, and he seemed to have uh, put Created himself into the place as his own and not just mimicking everything in the will, past. He will always it's be almost like he's Pulp mimicking fiction. himself at this point. At this point, for Pulp sure. fiction was an, such an iconic pop That's definitely culture. what shot him up into the charts. Yes, like an adrenaline rush. <laughs> so adrenaline. <laughs> like a shot to the heart. <laughs> You're too late. You give love a bad theme. I'm glad you didn't have the mic for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably one of the first mainstream movies that introduced uh, rape. Man on man rape. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Probably true. I think that's what the first man on man rape is probably in that movie. No, or have you never seen Deliverance? Oh, uh, that's true. I actually haven't. But like but Deliverance is is not as gratuitous. Squeal like a piggy. I mean, at least Pulp Fiction, you see the dude raping the Oh, you definitely see the rape in Deliverance. Really, I never saw that. I must have fallen asleep. It's big time. During the rape scene, was that the least interesting think, scene to you? I think so. I was like, "This is there's no dialogue going on in this scene." I'm, I'm bored. Go this. It's <laughs> just a bunch of for me. rednecks on a river. <laughs> this guy's raping this dude. This is boring. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> number one, number one, far and away, it's not even close. The best Quentin Tarantino film is fucking Kill Bill. It's an all-timer. I love, 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 love these movies. I think there's not a dull moment in the whole four hours and 15 minutes or whatever that the whole thing takes. Some of the best action sequences we've ever seen. Some of the best dialogue in any Tarantino film. Some of the biggest flourishes of style, like the anime sequence in Kill Bill 1, I think is... Very strange. And he, that's when he definitely started venturing into those like random like little cutscenes that he inserted into his movies that are very prevalent in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, but yeah. one of the great things about that is that it doesn't feel out of place. It feels very like it in context into it. of the movie. Yeah. You're like, yeah, that totally makes sense. It services the plot, and it also uh, actually has to go into his like inspiration too for the film. And when I when I first saw those movies, like I it actually transitioned so well into that anime scene that I didn't even actually realize that I stopped watching live action and started watching anime until like a little bit after the scene started. I was like, oh shit. No, same. 100%. I was like, you for that. The Matrix had no anime scenes. <laughs> the Animatrix? So well, having Matrix, never watched the Animatrix and I never plan on it because I'm not a fucking dork. Oh, I'm sorry, but that's one of my best movies ever made. Um, I really agree with you, Jay, that like I feel like the transition between the stylizing of the live action versus the anime in that movie is so flowing and flawless. Mm. It's not until you're like halfway through the scene you're like holy shit, I'm not watching a live action anymore. I'm watching an animation. But, it, like, it's almost so much better that those scenes were filmed in an animated style because it's, like, if that same scene was done with live action, it might almost be too much, I feel like. Yeah, because that was the whole pedophile scene. Exactly. Yeah. And, exactly and that would be extraordinarily difficult to watch. No, and even with the animation, it did a really well done version of like a scene of a fucking old man trying to fuck a 13 year old exactly it was. it was gratuitous without being exploitative 
It was pretty, yeah, pretty gratuitous. Very, yeah. I mean, it, very it, it very much is, yeah. Because you have those sequences in that anime scene where like someone gets punched in the face and their head basically caves well, in. And when he kills, and when she like kills that pedophile, and the whole like just the blood spray everywhere, up everywhere. into the room. It's so good, <laughs> and just so many awesome conversations. Like one of my favorite scenes in any Tarantino film is at the end of Volume Two. When she, cause, uh, Beatrix doesn't know that her child survived her attack, so she goes to kill Bill, and then there's her daughter with Bill, and then it, she, like, breaks totally down. Totally seen. That was such a great, great like, scene. I, I, th- I think it's the most I've ever been, like, emotionally impacted mm-hmm. in a Tarantino film, because Uma Thurman just kills that scene, because she's trying to keep it together, but she's obviously so overwhelmed by the sight of her daughter. Yeah. And then the whole scene where, like... Bill hits her with the tranquilizer, not the tranquilizer, like the truth serum dart, and he asks her questions. Like it's masterful. Like I, I like Quentin Tarantino a lot, but Kill Bill is the only one that's like a personal favorite of mine. I absolutely adore these movies, and that's why Kill Bill is my number one. So I want to start off and saying, obviously, Kill Bill was my number two. Um, I do think that it is an amazing, amazing film. Pulp Fiction is my number one of Tarantino's films. I think that the reason that it pops out above the rest is because it is the only one of his nine films that I actively have nothing that I could say that I could even think of that is a con on that film. I think it is perfectly well acted. I think it is perfectly directed. I think... The way that the story flows is so well done. I think that the setting is amazing. I think that the stylization is just so great for the way the story goes. And I wanted to say that in Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2, I thought that that was probably Uma Thurman's best film. But the reason that I thought Pulp Fiction was his best film is that there are a lot of things, The a lot of the writing in most of his films can be very, like, staccato. It can be very written in a way that is not how people speak, but it's all, but it's very purposely done. It's very stylized. Yeah, yeah. I think that Pulp Fiction is a really interesting look at how you can take very stylized and very staccato writing and also make it feel natural and the way people might speak if they're like Vincent Vega and they have a lot of like Vincent Vega is kind of the stand-in for Tarantino in that film and he speaks in a lot of pop culture and a lot of interesting ways but it feels sort of natural the way he speaks also and it's definitely my number one of his films definitely my top films of all time pretty great uh my number one is ib that's your number one you know bore with us it's a good film with a bullet (laughs) like Uh, i said his most overrated film with a bullet like you'll take a bullet for it or like with a bullet like there's a caveat to that no with a bullet as in there is no there's no comparison yeah (laughs) (laughs) Like, without a doubt, this is my number one. Uh, I mean, first of all, the man himself, I've said this 
a million times this podcast, but the man himself has claimed it's his masterpiece. What has he? So did you? Oh just yeah. Look up like, at the end of the movie. He says this one <laughs> might just be my masterpiece or something along those lines, and it's very self-referential. So he should have won the Oscar for this did one. Did you maybe. just look up the list and like over the hurt locker, Matt? I'll admit it. Favorite films. <laughs> Over Avatar, he should have won Best Picture okay, or Best Director. That's not true. Over Avatar and The Hurt Locker. Yes, that's true. Over The Hurt Locker? I love The Hurt Locker, but Glorious Bastards was the Superior War film I didn't realize those came out year. the same year. That should not. Mm, I know. It's no. sad. Anyways, I love War <laughs> Pictures. Anyone who listens to this show or knows me should know that. Um, <laughs> like you've all said before, the opening scene is amazing. The basement scene is amazing every single scene is tension. everything about this movie is amazing <laughs> end of story <laughs> well as far as like his revisionist history i think this is like the most like satisfying and most like fulfilling like i just think it's just like a a fun clever way to rewrite history and he does it in his way but there's like so many memorable scenes the writing is top-notch so many good actors, so many good characters. It's great. All right. Well, uh, my number one, I am going to preface that uh, my actual number one is only uh, written by Tarantino, was never directed by him. Uh, it was his first script he ever wrote, and he actually sold it for like $700. Whoa, yeah, what? he sold his first script for $700, and if you ever notice, this film actually came out a year after Reservoir Dogs, because uh, they they came to him after he released Reservoir Dogs, and they came to him with this script that he just sold them a couple years prior, and said, hey, we saw Reservoir Dogs, that was awesome, why don't you direct this script that you sold us, and he said no. That is the first movie I wanted directed. I wanted to direct, and you guys took it from me. And so I already directed my first film. You guys do what you want with it. And, and then they, uh, you know, they released True Romance, which was his first script he ever wrote and sold. And I think it, it is personally my favorite movie of all time. And I think um, it is uh, his best script he's ever written. But with the uh, directorial aspect, his my number one is uh, Jackie Brown. I think that um, that is his most uh, realistic movie. I love Pam Greer. I love Robert De Niro, Samuel Jackson, um, Bridget Fonda. Uh, who uh, who else was in there? Chris Tucker was in there for a little bit. Oh yeah, and like one scene or something. <laughs> oh my god! And, and like every dialogue scene is fantastic, and it is a uh, his most legitimate uh, crime movie, I think. And it is also his most unoriginal because it is based off of a novel, which I would just like to add in there it's the only adapted screen right he's exactly done, i believe Isn't jackie brown also an adapted screenplay that's what he's talking that's about. what we were oh, just I'm talking sorry about. i got lost i was thinking true romance <laughs> <laughs> no true romance is not an adapted yeah screenplay. that's an that is an original which is pretty much damn close to his other screenplay the second one he wrote uh natural Born killers and uh which is 
pretty much the same, except natural born killers are more psychotic and true romance are more justified a little bit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's uh, my number one, Jackie Brown. Did Did Tarantino write from Dust Till Dawn, or was he just he, like he a producer, co collaborator? Didn't he like ghost direct the first half or something? I like thought that? he partnered sure, with Robert Rodriguez on it, but he didn't necessarily do one thing in particular. The best scene, anything Tarantino adjacent that anything Tarantino has come into contact with is when Cheech Marin talks about the pussy in From Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> we got stinky pussy, we got the pussy. <laughs> best scene awesome ever if he was talking about feet. I actually really <laughs> like the scene when he drinks the, I want to say, tequila off of Selma Hayek's foot. body. Just plain sight. her foot. Hey, I love toes Not going to lie. Mouth. Not going to lie. I'm not big into the foot fetish thing, but that was a sexy-ass scene. Totally. Well, Selma Hayek. Come here. Come on. Have you seen Selma Desperado? Enterprise. Robert Rodriguez. Selma Hayek has always been. <laughs> Selma Hayek has always been my dad's girlfriend. And as I've gotten older, I realize she is also my girlfriend not gonna lie she is the hottest progressive i have uh pounded it out many times in my life to uh (laughs) jesus desperado we own we own desperado on dvd that scene where her and antonio banderas it's like the it's kind of steamy like literally like the, the screen is a little steamy and it's like oh the music it's sexy and that can mm. I just say, or no, no, no one in the world wants to hear about you pounding it out to anything. Uh, I feel like that's why people come here is to talk about, to hear oh, us I talk mean. about cum and jerking <laughs> off. And, but it's in reality, true romance, number one. <laughs> but f- Jackie Brown for the purposes Jackie of this Jackie Brown exercise. for the purposes of this. Okay, so... Uh, before we move on to our next review, I think Travis has a little bit of trivia prepared for our Tarantino fanboy. You ready for this, Jay? Oh, Let's do it. Let's do All it. Right, well, do you want me to try and beat you, or do you want to see if you hey, can answer if his question? If you want to challenge. If you want to challenge me, then I'll take any kind of challenge. So how do we want to do this? Do I read off the question and fastest one answers? Wait. Can I be a participant in this? I love trivia. Sure. Okay. Let's do it. So these or are, are we doing like a raise your hand type thing, and then Travis, like whoever raises their hand first, you like call on. I'm always say beep. Sure. Who Paris has, and I are sharing. Once upon a time in so. Hollywood, high rated the highest. Him. Okay. So he he gets first. Wait, look. no, he's last. He's last. <laughs> he gets first look. Wait, Wait did the you highest, say it's your least favorite? It was my least favorite. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I was gonna oh, play I favoritism. I see what you're saying. What is it on your list? Mine's number seven. Seven. Yeah. Okay. So we're tied anyway, it's it going to be, are we just going to raise our hand? Like, how Clock are we doing was. this? Yeah, how are we doing this? Um, should we do that or should you guys just blurt it out and then we all decide who said well, it? Well, we say beep. Can we say beep? So Matt and I are sharing a mic, so just if we're blurting it out, we're going to have to get real cozy. Just get cozy for this next segment. Mm-hmm. So should, I just blurt out the answer. So That's most of these were taken from the internet and I didn't put IMDb a lot of thought trivia. into them. So I don't know how... Difficult or easy they will be, but if you've seen his movies and you've seen them more than once, you should be able to get these. Okay, okay, let's do it. So the first question is, oh, and no multiple choice. Okay, we've removed that from the. I hate multiple choice. That's cheating. (laughs) So who kills Vincent Vega in Pulp Fiction? Bruce Willis. What's the character name? Don't know. Jay. 
God oh damn my it. God. Okay. <laughs> He's a boxer? Very good. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, sure. <laughs> Travis is We know that part. <laughs> oh, you did um, so good. That's cute. God damn it. That's okay. He's a boxer. All right. And you guys were about. We don't know. Tied. Yeah, we were definitely tied right. on that. Dang it. I was hoping you'd have that. So his name is Butch. 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 Fucking A. Oh, God damn it. No. I wish I knew that. Okay, get ready, fast buzzers. <laughs> what novel is Jackie Brown based on? Run Punch. Boom. I actually didn't know that. Bye. Bonus points. Oh, I know this one. It's uh, Come on, you. Uh, you writer, you. Don't look at your computer <laughs> screen. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> uh, it's uh, uh, the L- one. Uh, L- Leonard. Leonard's. Is this Oh wait, well, are, are you Leonard giving Elmore. No, no, Leonard I'm, Elmore, is that it? I'm giving you a chance to steal Elmore, based Elmore off Leonard, Leonard, Leonard. Who? Final Elmore answer. Leonard. He got it. He got Elmore it. Leonard. Okay, so Matt what the fuck is that? Did he get an so? extra point or just a one point? Um, that was like a bonus point. So do like we want to count it or no? One and one. Half you so asked the question. We? We're, we're two and two right now. Him and I. I feel like the bonus point should be a half No, one and one. You're one and one. Because you guys didn't. Well, we got the full picture. If you want to count that, I asked uh, we're for the character name. Okay, so two for two. <laughs> two for two. <laughs> what group was the bride originally a member of in Kill Bill? Full name, please. Oh, um, um, the Viper the... Assassin Squad. Yeah. <laughs> which wait? Which deadly, which one? The Deadly, deadly Viper Assassin Squad. Deadly Viper Assassin Squad. So she got the full name right, okay. but you got the majority <laughs> name right. Half point for each. How's that work? Well, he said he said Viper assassination. And squad. I said the deadly said Viper. Deadly. So she technically she got it right. Played off of it. I did. I yes. wouldn't have got it without Jay. So next time, think about it in your head. <laughs> <laughs> but I also said she was the Black Mamba. So, so like you all have one, yeah? Or no, two, two, one. <laughs> We're going two, two, one. <laughs> so why is Butch Bruce Willis in Pulp Fiction in trouble with Marcellus? He didn't throw because the fight. He... Well, that's not fair. I didn't have a time to say anything. Because he didn't throw the fight. Game. I said because he. <laughs> you got to be quicker. <laughs> be quicker. So Matt has three. Damn it. JS2. It's pretty weak-ass questions. <laughs> These questions are whack as hell. Fair enough. Fair enough. You guys can. These are some pop culture. I think also pop... the game show host is cheating. This is some pretty mainstream <laughs> pop culture questions. Let's I, go. Let's go. go with the first Google result. Why is Django freed from slavery and Django Unchained? God damn it. That's my least favorite one. He wanted to, he got bought to be a fighter, right? Nope. Not according to the. Oh, uh, the dentist uh, purchased him. (laughs) Fucking tooth. But why? But why did he do that? He freed him because of his wife's story. Hilda. I need a little more. Oh, because because Hilda was part of the German fable. And and because he was the a doctor dentist. Was German. <laughs> you guys aren't satisfying the answer that was on. Fuck off, Travis. What Googles. is the answer? Because he's got big tooth on top of his wagon. Because they're German, and he was German, and it fell with a German fairy tale. God okay. damn it! According to this unknown source, he <laughs> knows the, the identities of the outlaw Brittle brothers. That's not real. That was yeah. stupid. That was Sorry, stupid guys. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, Nobody got that one. Got it right. So Who do they call to clean up the car in Pulp Fiction? The guy that played the other guy in... Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I need specifics. The actor or the character's name? 
you 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 send in you send in the the wolf the wolf bonus points thank you who's the actor uh come on he's very well i know dude i know him he was in um bad lieutenant he was harvey can tell Harvey Kai fucking tell. Mandel, bonus points. Tell. Bonus points count as zero. Howie Mandel. <laughs> it was something Mandel. <laughs> so bonus point count to zero. Three, three, one. Oh, what? <laughs> You've definitely got one right. I definitely did get one. Wait, I didn't get a bonus I point for that one? No, a fake bonus point. These guys have three. <laughs> so three, three, one. Yeah? How many questions you got left? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have one, two, three... Four. Okay, let's go. So cool. Still let's do it. <laughs> what is the name of Django's wife in Django Unchained? Hilda. Mango. No, I need I need preferably full first name or full name for it to count. Is it not? It's not Hilda. It, it is it not German? Is that what we're not talking about? I'm not. Helga. No. <laughs> I'm totally off this. I mean, I she's no I she <laughs> is on. Like she's warm, if that gives you guys a hint. Hilda Einstein. Who? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I definitely just mumbled some German after that, and it's not a big deal. I will give you no points for Hilda. If anyone can elaborate on Hilda, I will. I, don't, I have point. no idea. Wait, wait. Is it is her first name longer than Hilda? Yes. Is it Broomhilda? Bingo. Mm. Broomhilda von Shaft. Yes! German! So th- three, three, two. For reference, my family is German. When that Vincent and Mia go on a date to the diner, what actor plays their waiter? The actor that plays their, their waiter, waiter or the waiter or the that? character that their waiter is the playing? The actor. Don't Can care. That? Who's the actor who serves Mia Tim and Roth. Vincent in the diner scene? not tim roth steve buscemi boom for real i knew it was one of his four three two okay ready who said are you gonna bark all day little doggy or are you gonna bite michael madsen mr blonde wow didn't even finish the question yeah i know what scene it was it's my favorite scene of all those movies it's where he's talking to the cop and he has he gave actor name and character name i don't know the actor's name well jake won or jake (laughs) (laughs) it's okay i called you tyler earlier it's all good one and one fair enough trevor won it's not a big deal (laughs) is that all the the questions one more all right all right what is the title of the fictional Nazi propaganda film? Inglorious Bastards. No, in the in the plot of Inglorious Bastards. What's the propaganda film within it? The highest rank. I literally just watched it like a couple days ago, but so you don't know. Well, yeah, movie sucks. So I don't no, know. I don't, I don't know at all. Suck. It's a mid range. No, oh, it's a fantastic movie, people. Uh, the <laughs> mid range. Fourth Reich. Wrong. The highest leader, something like that, right? wrong jay can you no i I have no idea um the leaderist this is embarrassing it's nation's pride i think nation's pride that's right yeah it sounds pretty close Uh, (laughs) pretty close the leaderist sure what will he be all right so jake wins congratulations jake Jake again (laughs) (laughs) damn it jake whoever you are (laughs) 
All right, I hate you, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Well, that's uh, it's about three hours of Tarantino content. <laughs> Fucking point, a! So, how amazing. Uh, um, we are gonna take a break. When we return, we will be talking about the farewell. Uh, we have a clip. Our goodbyes. <laughs> Let's go ahead and listen in. <laughs> wrong dad please tell me when that is dying she doesn't know so you can't say anything the family thinks it's better not to tell her why is that better chinese people have saying when people get cancer they die we have to go to china wedding is an excuse so everyone can see her he's my only cousin do you think i should be there you can't hide your emotions if you go night and we'll find out right away really yeah Okay, The Farewell is the debut feature from writer and director Lulu Wang. The plot synopsis reads, A Chinese family discovers their grandmother has only a short while left to live and decide to keep her in the dark, scheduling a wedding to gather before she dies. Film stars Aquafina. Shai Mei, Diana Lin, Jim Liu, Shuzhen Xiao as Nai Nai, the grandmother. Um, so this is an A24 release. And before we get into like the meat of the review, I just want to point out how much I appreciate that A24 has given a platform to people of color to tell stories that wouldn't necessarily be told otherwise. Generically speaking. Generally speaking. <clears throat> I mean, they, they also put out The Last Black Man in San Francisco, The Farewell. There's lots of other films. Moonlight. Moonlight. Um, it's just awesome that they've given a platform to some of these directors who may not have otherwise reached the amount of people that they have as a result of being under the A24 banner. Uh, having said that, The Farewell... I liked quite a bit. I didn't love it. I feel like you can tell that this is a first feature for this director. There are a lot of shots that are unnecessary. Lots of shots of like the outsides of apartment buildings that kind of linger on a little bit too long and don't, I feel like don't really add anything to the film. There's multiple instances of that. I was invested in this story story start to finish but i wasn't edge of my seat like entranced by it i thought it was very heartfelt i thought it was funny not like laugh out loud funny very often but you know it was generally a funny film great performances again a story that wouldn't necessarily have been told otherwise um but we'll start there liked it a lot didn't love it who wants to go next me I uh, feel very similar to you, Matt. Uh, didn't necessarily love it. Definitely didn't hate it. Um, it's right in that wheelhouse of like very well made, but maybe not necessarily my favorite. Has some artistic flourishes, but ultimately you can tell it's a first feature. Um, like Matt said, performances are good. There are some funny moments. Maybe not like gut-busting scenes. Um and then it's pretty heartfelt, but like, I didn't lose my shit or anything while watching it. I rarely do. I always, you know, keep composed. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, a very good movie. Um, 
but not like a favorite or best of the year for me. Sure. So I, it sounds like I maybe liked it more than y'all did. Um, I did see there were some flaws in it, which actually dropped it down a little bit for me. But ultimately, I really enjoyed the film. I actually went and saw this with uh, my friend. Your abuela? I did not see this with my abuela. Both my abuelas are dead. So didn't see it with that. But no, I saw it with a friend of mine and with Kurt. And my friend also really liked it. Kurt uh, felt more along the lines of y'all where um felt like stylistically it was very interesting, but maybe relied a bit too much on that. Maybe. Um, yeah, I feel like your relationship with your grandma might play a lot into this movie and just how well you're able to relate to it. I also thought the whole culture aspect was pretty interesting. We got a bit of that in Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> Um, this is obviously a more serious or sentimental piece of work. Um, but yeah, I liked just, I like learning about other people's cultures or just investing in it. Um, and I don't know if we want to go back to artistic flourishes right now, but I thought there were a couple cool moments, like the one at the, the table, like at the reception, I thought was pretty interesting and plays more into the movie than just the actual shot itself and then like there's a couple other moments like when she sees like cigarette smoke outside of her window I thought that was a nice little artistic touch but I don't know beyond that I just didn't fully grab me which scene at the table are you talking about at the, the one where the the camera's like spinning around really fast. Or they're doing like the game and seeing the Yeah, song. and there's like alcohol involved. Yeah. And like, okay. I feel like it just kind of simulated how someone might feel in that setting. Just like time moving by so quickly. Or like when you're in a, a moment or setting like that, you may like remember bits and pieces of it. But whether you like, depending on your emotions or how drunk you are, you might remember them a little differently and just that playing out like in the context I thought was interesting, but um, yeah, I just, it was a cool scene. I, mean, I do think I like that scene, but it was a little on the nose because there's the expression like when you're drunk, the room is spinning. Yeah. And it was literally the room was spinning because all the faces blurred together and the camera was literally just spinning around from the yeah. center of the table, you know. But I don't feel like I've ever necessarily like seen that in a movie before. Like sure, it was kind of on the nose, but like. The way she presented it, I thought was It looked cool. Different. I, I definitely don't know. I can't think of an example, but I, I would believe that that's not the first time that something like that has been done. But the way it was handled visually, it, it looked neat. It was it was a cool effect, I will say. Yeah. Um, I thought Aquafina was amazing in this movie. Mm-hmm. This is the first time I've seen her in kind of a more serious role. Um, and just she's perfect for the part i mean she's as far as i understand she's american she has a chinese background but she's american so that played into her role in the film she's often criticized for her chinese not being very good which you know feeds into her background of being an american who comes from chinese background um and i also on like an emotional level i i was affected by it i did tear up a little bit 
towards the end. Um, but you go through this whole movie, the premise being that the grandmother has a terminal terminal illness and she doesn't have long to live. So I wouldn't necessarily say there were any surprises. I wouldn't say that dampens the emotional impact of what happens, but it's a little bit expected just given the nature of the way the plot is established. Um, but it was very entertaining. Uh, I was on board through the whole film. I do think there were some ups and downs. I think the middle, like third of it, a little slower, um, but very much enjoyed like the, the different perspective. Um, on just culture and like East versus West and like how you would handle that situation, how your family would handle that situation. Yes. Do you agree with the way that certain cultures handle that situation, etc.? And there is that clash within the film of even the people who... Well, that's like her character. Aquafina's character is like clashing between the two ideals or beliefs or whatever. Right, and not even just her. Like her, her dad, to a lesser extent, he is on the side of, you know, the Eastern tradition of to not go against the family. But there is that internal struggle that they show where he doesn't seem like he's completely on board with it. He probably would if it didn't go against this Eastern ethos of, you, you know, you don't, you do what's best for the family. If this is what the family agrees with, I'm going to go along with it. Even if it's not necessarily what I would do, especially since they had immigrated to the West experience, that side of the culture. I thought that, that dynamic between the two, I thought was one of the most interesting parts of the movie. And I thought it was well done for sure. Yeah. That was like the main through line of the movie for me was the, eastern perspective versus western perspective like not just leaving the place where you've lived and moving away because the one brother had moved to japan the other one had moved to america the one that had moved to japan still felt very strongly in the eastern tradition of you don't just belong to yourself you belong to your family to your society to your country to your tradition to your ancestors the one that had moved to the west was kind of the one that was was trying to tackle the internal struggle of do you go against your family? Do you go with what you think is right? And then the daughter, Aquafina, who had lived in America most of her life, most of her grown life, was really more pro you belong to yourself as an individual. And I thought that that was a really interesting look. I think the movie that originally I thought the movie was going to be about family and family relationships. And I feel like it was more about that East versus West cultural divide while looking at it through a lens of family and of this specific family and how they dealt with that. Yeah. And I did like all the family stuff, like just watching them interact and like make dinner together and just like hang out like that just kind of feels lost a little bit in my family and just like the current generation. So it's just nice to see that. And that may just be a cultural thing or maybe we all hope that our families will act like that in right. the scenario that's presented. But yeah, it was just a, a good way to like spend time in a different setting with certain characters. But I don't know if it just like, it didn't quite fully hit or invest me like i wanted it to right and there's also just like lots of little heartbreaking moments where there's clearly an opportunity for 
the grandmother to be informed by what's happening. There's lots of references to like, why do you look so sad? And like, what is wrong with you? Oh, these are tears of joy. Like they always skirt around the issue, but when it almost seems like part of me was feeling like it may be obvious to her. You know what I mean? Cause like if she's so like close to this culture and she knows what the norm is for this culture. Like, wouldn't she catch on to the way her family's acting and, you know, like be a step ahead of them or like kind of figure out what's going on. But the movie never really touched on that. And I don't know if it's like fair to criticize it for that, but just me watching, it's like if her sister's so ingrained and she's so ingrained in this culture, then how is this like not crossing her mind whatsoever? And they never really touched on that point. So they left it pretty ambiguous, but my interpretation was that she did know that her, at least that something was wrong with her. The grandma did know, Um, especially because there's a scene where the great aunt, who knows, but is hiding it from her, says she's going to get the results from, from the doctor on Monday. So the grandma, kind of of her own volition, sends her maid to go get the results for her rather than going through the great aunt which would just be two days later which at first it seems kind of like why would she do that but my thought was that she would do that because she actually knew that something was wrong with her and she's also trying to kind of do the same thing and protect her children and her grandchildren from that like when she even when she thinks she just has a cold and she's coughing she says don't tell the children and I thought that was really interesting because it's almost like both parts of the family, both generations of the family are kind of trying to do the same thing. They're kind of trying to protect the other part of the family from dealing with a hard situation. Well, and there's also some humor that comes along with the whole wedding situation because the couple who's getting married, they're clearly kind of uncomfortable with each other. Well, it's like a forced situation. They're only doing it to benefit the family. But yeah. it's, there's also, it's also interesting because his wife is Japanese and doesn't speak a lick of Chinese. So you have these humorous moments where she's just kind of like, she's <laughs> just as lost. She's more lost than anyone else because at least Aquafina, even though she may have lived in the West for 25 years, still speaks the language. Mm-hmm. Here you have this Japanese woman who is like has no clue what the fuck is going on most of the time and she's just like bowing when everyone else is bowing. She's just looking around the dinner table not understanding the conversation even when she might be the butt of the joke. It's like it's in, it's a very interesting scenario to play through in the film because she's a very minor character but she's she's integral to this exploration of here you have two very similar very deep uh eastern like you know they have a lot of history both the japanese and the chinese cultures are similar in many ways but very different in a lot of ways so here you have someone who especially to a western audience you might think like oh well, they're probably not so different but the languages are, are very very different you can even tell hearing them speak there's they're very different languages so it's well, like this fish out of water story of speaks to that where like they're speaking in front of the grandmother in English and she has no idea what they're saying. But being an American, it's hard to like listen to that and like put myself in her shoes, not understanding what she's saying. Cause like obviously English is first nature to me, but like trying to understand that someone else from another culture, another language can't understand that at all. Just like 
it's hard to fathom as an English speaking person. Um, but I think that all just plays into the movie. I also really appreciated that the movie was probably 90% spoken in, in Chinese. The trailer kind of makes you believe like, oh, this is, this is an American film, but it's th- through the lens of this Chinese culture because there's a lot of English speaking in the trailer. In the actual film, there's there's very little English it's speaking. Like Glorious Bastards. Yeah, sure. <laughs> there's more English speaking in Glorious Bastards than there is this, but uh, yeah, sure. I was actually very surprised at the amount of non-English speaking and subtitles that were in the movie, and it was interesting because when I went to book my tickets for the movie, it was one of the artisan films. I don't know if you guys have seen that on AMC, and I was like, kind of wondering. Why, I guess, because I hadn't heard really AMC's too much. on crack. Don't pay any <laughs> attention to them. But I, think, but I think the reason that it was, quote unquote, an artisan film is because it was a almost primarily English language film, even though the protagonist is a Eng- English language star. She is still Chinese and the majority of the film was in Chinese. So and I think that was also surprising to me and maybe like wider audiences as well yeah totally and it's also just a smaller story than you especially in the summer the summer is the time of that's blockbusters to talk about artisan films within amc i think that's just their new ploy to like try and like entice people to go see indie movies because like there was a two artisan film labeled trailers were blinded by the light and Brian Banks, which are like two different like ethnicities or cultural backgrounds, right. like dealing with some sort of like social issue. Aren't they just smaller movies? I think it's they're just... saying they're spotlighting because they they may not normally get as wide of a film release. So they're saying like these are our films that we are purposefully giving a more wide theatrical release, like as more. I would of, think like, so. Independent like it's their films. way of pimping indie films. To a, a a greater degree, okay. pimping is the wrong word. I know. Sorry, but I mean, I mean, mar- they are marketing that. Yeah, specifically, but I, I wouldn't so... put any stock in AMC's artisan films. But I think like, that's just I look at it as more like, thing. oh, this might be a more independent style or independent film that they're giving a wider release. Yeah, compared to like Hobbs and Shaw. Right, but which is like, a natural. It's a it's a normal summer blockbuster. It's a natural like. And then a movie lesser than The Farewell probably would never even touch AMC Cinemas. Right, it's so. still a big movie, <laughs> and and honestly, the main star is Aquafina, who is an English language star. She was just recently in Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, you know she is a comedian in her own right. She's like up and coming, and I think that. I'm not going to lie, if she had not been in the film, I may not have seen it. It may not have even garnered my attention. It may not have come up in my <coughs> scope, but I'm glad I did. It was a good... I enjoyed it a lot. Okay. That's, that's about all I have to say about yeah, the movie. I, mean, I would I recommend that everyone see it if they get the opportunity. Cause it's, a, it's a worthwhile film. It's touching. It's funny, you know. Not as good as Shoplifters. No, Shoplifters Different movies, is but... incredible. I still haven't seen Shoplifters. So I, I think it's on Hulu. Hulu. It's on Hulu. I thought it was on Netflix. Okay. Well, Burning is on Netflix. 
You racist fuck. No. <laughs> I don't know what burning is, so don't call me racist. You, you should asshole. know what burning is. But is Burning it? was like a high... Pr- it's a Korean film. Uh, Steven Jung from uh, Walking Dead, isn't it? It was like a high profile... He was in... Um, fuck, what was that movie from last year? Sorry to bother you. Oh, Small Steven, part. Steven Young? Mm-hmm. Okay. He was like leading the riots... Oh, I remember him. He's been in quite a bit. Yeah, he's been in a few other things. He's smaller parts. Yeah. Most importantly, he was in the skit that I watched with you from I Think You Should Leave with the mud pie. So that's immediately (laughs) what I thought of when I thought of him. When I was like, oh, he's been in smaller stuff. I immediately was like, by I Think You Should Leave, I mean, was it I Think You Should Leave? Okay. So that is the best sketch in the entire show. Did you keep watching it? No, I've just seen the first episode. That's all I've seen. In- but when he makes a mud pie and then doesn't wipe his hands and then gets it on the receipt and the guy eats receipt and then he gets sick and then he dies because he used too small a slice when he made his mud pie. Mud pie means poop. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> well, I was I don't know looking if you're at helping the skit or. <laughs> well, I was. Anyway. It's okay. You use too small a slice on the mud pie. It's okay. We all do. <laughs> it makes me want to use mud pie and slice in real life for poop and toilet paper. <laughs> I already have. I've already adopted it. No, I also do it with Kurt, and then he hadn't watched the thing, and I was like, okay, you need to watch this because I'm going to use too small a slice like in conversation. It's going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> okay. You guys want to get some ratings on the farewell? Yeah. It's four stars for me. Four stars for me. Matt Matt nailed it. It was a four and a half for me. I actually walked out and thought maybe it was a five, but then I realized like there were a lot of small, kind of some of the stuff you talked about, like maybe the lingering shots that need didn't need to be there. The that overstylization. Was I love the lingering shots. Oh, okay. Give me those buildings. <laughs> some, of, some of the overstylization I loved from a from a purely look perspective, but I don't, I think they actually took away from the movie. So four and a half. Um, real quick. Did you guys like the, the very end? I thought I felt a little forced person. The, the shot of the real Nene or the end end. Aquafina, Not the after the credits, in the streets moment. of okay. New York doing the hut thing. Oh, well, I thought it didn't, make sense per se i understood why they did it i wish that had been done maybe in her house or right out front of her house and maybe in less populated area where someone would maybe actually do that it felt weird that she was doing it just walking on a busy street i understood why they did that particularly because then they show the shot of the real nene doing that similar thing and so it ties back in and maybe it wouldn't tie back in as well if they didn't have that However, I thought I think that the setting took away from it. Yeah, a little too forced, a little on the nose. But the scene before that, I thought was well done. Oh, I didn't tear up, but the farewell, you mean? People around me did. Yes. I also want to say I cried so much in this movie that um, at the end, Kurt was like, "Hey, do you want some crumpled up napkins that I have?" And I was like, "No, are they used?" And he was like. No, here you go. And my friend actually brought a handkerchief with her to the movie, like a real ass handkerchief. And I was like, okay, you old ass bitch. But I wish I had a handkerchief by the end of the movie because I cried so much. I only cried at the end when she was wave- waving goodbye. I cried at least 
five if not seven times like there were distinct points where I like teared up and then like couldn't stop crying now to be fair I was in a more emotionally raw place when I actually saw the movie I was a little hungover but and when I'm hungover much like I would say Matt and Tom maybe I like to just let it all out and fucking cry my fucking eyeballs out but there were like seven times I was like no I will say there were moments in the movie where I was just like dumb smiling at what was going on in screen. And that was probably just like the interactions with just the family. And like I had the same sort of dumb smile watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, just like pure joy yeah. watching and enjoying what's going on on screen. Yeah. Um, but I didn't cry. And uh, one, I want to say two things that don't really add to the review, but they're just for whatever but i did like practically wake up and watch this movie so i don't know if that had anything to do with it i was a little you know tired or sleepy but then also the way the movie was projected is anytime there was multi-line subtitles the second line was halfway cut off so like you could really i mean i could still read every word on the second line up in alderwood like Linwood. Oh, boo. Yeah. So that was kind of annoying because you had, I mean, you could figure out what it said, but like you could that just tell that it needed, like the projection was off. Like it should have been like just pushed up and in. So it wasn't like the masking at the bottom, like the, the picture was literally too far down on the screen or did they not lower the masking enough on the bottom? Uh, I don't know which one it was, but I just know the subtitles were like half were cut, cut off. off. Okay. So that was kind of annoying. And also, the first thing... Chelsea did cry during the farewell. But the first thing she said to me after we got out was, I want Chinese food. Oh, my God. So I did actually want to touch on... That was something we didn't touch on the whole movie. The food scenes reminded me a so much of my family. Because I was like, God damn. My mom's side of the family, we always fucking come together over giant piles of family-style food. We're always picking shit off and shoving shit in other people's mouths. Like, you look too skinny. Fucking eat this. We're all fat on my mom's side of the family. We're not too skinny. But all of the older people are like, you're too skinny. You need to eat this. And I'm like... No, <laughs> but I, so I did appreciate that. But also the food looks so delicious. It did really make me want like some dumplings. They kept showing dumplings oh, yeah. and I was like, God, fuck I did love it. the moment regarding, I think it was, or wontons. Like that's just a classic, like mother or grandma moment when it's like, how many, dun- or how many wontons do you want? Oh my God. Five. No, no that's, that's not, not enough. enough. Okay. It doesn't. Okay. 10. Like you that was ju- just like, it was such a, such a very like slightly overbearing mother thing yes. you ask how much you want and you say no not enough you say okay more <laughs> no I'll tell I you know the exactly number that what you should give <laughs> that is so much my mom and my family like I can't <laughs> express but I also just wanted to say I am not surprised in the slightest that you didn't cry at this movie Travis but I am very surprised like almost shocked that you didn't cry more at this movie Matt more (laughs) you gotta cry more Matt I I don't know I think just because it was expected like I think I teared up a little bit at the wedding I think when the dad uh, or the uncle I guess it was the uncle right who who gave the speech in front of everybody it was kind of a weird speech 
to be honest. Yes. It was a very, if you did It was supposed know, to be, I think. Like, mixed emotions. If you didn't know that the grandmother was dying, it would have been a super weird speech. <laughs> like, why are you so sad? <laughs> <laughs> this is just a wedding. All right. You guys ready to move on? I think so. Okay. Let's move on to what we've been watching. Jay, since you did not see The Farewell, you were kind of uh, sitting out that review. You can go first if you want. What uh, what have you been Um, watching lately? So I'm a huge fan of the movie Johnny Mnemonic, starring Mm. Keanu Reeves, uh, one of my all-time favorites. And uh, recently I just went on to Google and I typed in movies like Johnny Mnemonic. (laughs) (laughs) And and it just gave me this uh, list of just random 90s uh, sci-fi, cyberpunk-esque. Was Hackers on there? Of course, Hackers was on there. Classic film. I love that movie. The best. <laughs> um, and so, and of course, like Lawnmower Man, which is a very well-known movie. I've never seen it, and uh, but I definitely acquired it to watch in the future. But uh, the movie <laughs> that popped up uh, first on that little Google search was Strange Days and uh, starring uh, Juliette Lewis as a supporting character. And you see her uh, boobies quite a bit in that flick. Yeah, you do. Nice. Tiny, oh, yeah. but amazing. And um, <laughs> Juliette Lewis, a classic booby actress. Oh, big time. And, uh, and, and the main character is a fella that I... I have never seen before, but after researching is the actor that plays Voldemort in Harry hmm. Potter. Ray Ralph Fiennes? Fiennes? Yeah. And so he's the lead actor. Isn't this, of this the film. one from Wait. Bigelow, right? Yeah. Catherine Bigelow? Yeah. I've never seen it. Wait, I thought you meant Deuce Bigelow male chicken. No. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, yeah. Bigelow. Okay. So that's, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Is she the director? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the whole premise of this is a little bit cyberpunk. It, the idea is that the main character is selling um, experiences from other people. And so the technology that they have is like this little kind of cap that you put on your head. And, it's, and, and, it sends, and you can upload experiences from other people that have worn this cap. And so a lot of people um, are experiencing sexual encounters and uh, murder or robberies and they can just like buy these uploads and um, you know experience and so they experience the emotions the feeling the physical feelings everything that the person that was wearing this cap in this act and you can experience them in this like little uh, data disc that you buy and and so this guy sells data discs and he doesn't necessarily uh, sell like snuff films you know um but he might deal in that kind of area where, you know, someone might die. And if you want to experience that, then he'll give you that. But what was it called again? Uh, Strange Days. Strange Days. Okay, I'm going to add it to my watch list. But the main premise is that uh, he ends up getting this data disc of a woman being raped and murdered, but uh, which was gratuitous. I mean, the scene that it happened, it wasn't gratuitous, but I definitely like. You know, I flipped past it like 30 seconds or whatever time it lasted because I got the premise of the idea. I really just didn't want to see this fucking woman getting raped. But um, why not? 
Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was too. I'm like I, you know, I did that. I've seen, some, I've seen some. I've seen some pretty gratuitous rape exploitation movies in the past. I've done my duty. I don't really need to see. You could fill in the blank. Yeah, but but the cool idea is that okay. Um, first, I'm just gonna give my thoughts on the movie. Not very good. The movie isn't that great. The whole idea of um, so what happens is that when he gets his data disc of this woman getting raped and murdered, uh, the guy who is doing it, he is wearing the cap while he's uh you know doing his deed on this woman, and he, in the process he puts a cap on her and does an outback feed, and so she is uh, uh seeing what he is saying. So he, she is the woman that's being raped or murdered is is seeing and feeling what the rapist and murderer is feeling and seeing at that same point. And so what's happening is that he's getting off on her, you know, being raped and being brutalized. She is um, feeling the fear and the dis, you know, the distaste of, you know, being brutalized like that, but also feeling his feelings of getting off on the fact that she was being raped and brutalized. And so she's feeling this horror, but also ecstasy from this guy that is doing it to her. And so it's this feedback loop, right? And so she is uh, feeling that, which heightens her senses of horror and pleasure, which feeds back into him, which heightens his senses of fucking horror and pleasure. And so it's just like this monumentous feedback loop of, horror and pleasure right there that they're all feeling at the same time that's crazy but like what an interesting concept uh... and that's what i (laughs) that's the only thing i really enjoyed about that whole movie was that that whole idea of that kind of um using technology to David Cronenberg must have been busy when well, the script was. It kind of it, it makes me also think of like that thing in the Black Horror finale or not Black Mirror finale of last season. Did you see that? Which one was that? There was in the Black Museum where there's a small bit where a guy, a doctor, wears this cap or implant where he can feel the sensations of people dying or being hurt, and it like gets him off. And it almost reminds me a bit of that. Do you guys remember that? See, I, I fell asleep halfway through that episode. <clears throat> the Black Museum episode? Okay. there. I would recommend rewatching it because it's pretty interesting. And there's especially the one. And so what is she? Is she feeling like pleasure from? It's a male doctor. And he is. he To ruin it for you guys, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Spoilers. Okay. Uh, yeah, spoilers <laughs> for the last season episode of Black Mirror. <laughs> um, the doctor gets off, starts realizing that he is experiencing the same feelings as them. Gets starts getting off on the pain. Starts killing patients on purpose so he can feel what death feels like and like sexually get off on it. And it's like kind of like what you talked about, like a feedback loop where like he's getting off on their pain and then they're feeling the pain. And then it's like back and forth mm-hmm. between like he's like talking to them still and like interacting with them. I don't know. It's just an interesting concept. Did you know James Cameron wrote the screenplay? I think what? I did. I think I did read about that. Yeah, I just pulled it up on IMDb because <laughs> he used to be married to Catherine Bigelow. But yeah, I guess this is a James Cameron Power screenplay. Couple. What a guy. <laughs> but I mean, def- definitely um, cyberpunk. 
Like, if you're into cyberpunk, I say Sounds check like out it. Strange Days. Not that great, but the whole concept is very cyberpunk. And I'll, I'll watch movies just because they have a cyberpunk influence. Do you think there's a, a good script there, though, that could be made into something great? Yeah, I think if, um, uh, I think it could be done well. But, uh, Are you discrediting yeah, Megalo? I, mean, uh, I, don't, I don't know <laughs> if I've seen anything else she's done. So she did like the Hurt Locker and I never saw Point that, Break. Yeah. Point Break. Come on. Point Break classic. classic. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Hurt Locker amazing. Her Wait, the new amazing. Point Break or the old Point Break? Old Point Break. Okay, good. The only one to talk about. The only one. <laughs> That's right. All right. Anything else on Strange Days? No, I uh, give it. Uh, yeah, I'll give it three stars. Mm-hmm. All right, who wants to go next? Uh, I can go. Um, I rewatched Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, mm-hmm. the 1971 classic. Um, it's a perfect movie. I don't know <laughs> what else is, there really is to say. It's it's, it's, it's really yeah. good. It's a great movie. I mean, it's like yeah. yeah. Do I need to say anything else? It's and who's that? Chris Wilder. Is that his name? Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. Can I just awesome say, actor. I yes. would I would say the only imperfect part of it is the scene where Charlie's mom sings a song while washing clothes in the laundry. That scene fucking drags and I fast forward through it every time. Mm. I don't know. It's a sweet like I don't know. I just feel like it works good as like a fantasy film, a child's <laughs> film. It's got like an acid element to it, but it's like so juvenile at the same time that done in a very just a, interesting way yeah. a great little mix of filmmaking and wonder and yeah yes i really wish i really wish gene wilder had more intricate roles like that i think he yeah. could have been so much more than he was i think you didn't gene like wilder, his role in blazing saddle no i didn't say i didn't i love gene wilder like i love almost everything i've ever seen frankenstein him in. <laughs> young frankenstein <laughs> Young it's Frankenstein. Frankenstein. <laughs> okay, Young Frankenstein. And uh, what uh, was the one he was in with Chris Pryor? Uh, Hear no evil, see no evil. Yeah, Throw Richard Mama. Pryor. You mean? Yeah, Richard Pryor. Uh, Who did I say? Wilder. Chris Pryor. Chris Pryor. <laughs> <laughs> Throw Mama from the train. Isn't he in that too? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, classic. I think I think he's a great actor, and I yeah. think he could have done a lot more. But you know, he was there in that time. His best performance is in that Woody Allen movie where he falls in love with a sheep. Shut the fuck up. It's called uh, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex That We're Too Afraid to Ask. Oh, I heard It's like a series of vignettes. And yeah, he plays a guy who falls in love with the sheep. (laughs) And he's like, you guys just don't understand. (laughs) I'm in love with her. (laughs) It's pretty good. Pretty pretty good. (laughs) Have any of you seen Easy Rider? No. Yep. What are your thoughts? Classic. Boom, nailed Classic. It. Right right up there with um, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry. Well, I think this is a, what? a way better movie. <laughs> oh, Did it's, you just say words? Dirty no. Mary, Crazy Larry. I know what you're talking about. Oh. I've seen it. I know what you're talking about. It's that is They both end in the exact same way. Yeah, but <laughs> this one definitely feels more substantial than Sure. The other one feels like I mean that was a, just a total basic, grindhouse, uh, like big time, big time. Yeah, like main main focus is on like the cars and stunts, very little spent on like characters and acting and all right. that. But Easy Rider, it's pretty experimental. It's definitely indie. Um, some people say it's like, and this is a uh, during the acid era with Dennis Hopper yep. and um, Nicholson, Peter Fonda. Yep. 
Peter Fonda, Jack Nicholson. Yeah, yep. he's in there. But yeah, yeah they just... <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, some people say it's like the changing of times as far as like filmmaking goes. And I think it's very important, but it's also just very well made. But it's very experimental. Like it's a road movie. There's not much plot to it. It's got an awesome soundtrack. It's like... He, Dennis Hopper and everyone involved was going against the grain. I think everyone knows the history of Easy Rider, but it's definitely and that is special. when uh, Dennis Hopper found the uh, theater in Taos, New Mexico, and he ended up moving into it and lived into that in that movie theater. No way, really? Yeah, <laughs> I've got actually a. Um, it's called the uh, drugstore drugstore camera, and it's a photograph book of. Um, he used to buy drug, you know, your basic freaking little uh, wind-up click drugstore cameras, and he would shoot film. And it's all black and white photographs of pretty much during that era, and um, photographs of his movie theater that he had in Taos, and and photographs of his daughter and his wife around New Mexico. And uh, yeah, it's a really good, really good book. But that's he was all about that artistic bullshit he was, oh, yeah. he was an entered hippie that wanted to be a outlaw oh yeah <laughs> not everyone understood him right <laughs> exactly uh but yeah it's awesome you guys should check it out uh someone else can go okay um i have two one i saw in theaters and one i watched at home uh the first one i saw in theaters was the art of self-defense came out recently um with jesse eisenberg it was surprisingly really good i had pretty low expectations for this one i kind of just saw it because uh we watched the trailer and um you're an a-list member so yeah might as well like again with (laughs) a-list it's like if there's a movie that's even slightly interesting to me i'm like yeah let's go fucking see that (laughs) um i loved it it was a really it reminded me a lot of i can't remember his name he does the lobster and yorgos lanthimos so it reminded me a lot of yorgos lanthimos's films in that the way of speaking was very unnatural i think someone said it was like Yorgos meets Napoleon Dynamite. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. That is the best possible way to describe it. All the best things about both of the, like that filmmaker and that movie, is is in this. One hundred percent, it is that, and just things happen. Characters speak and react, and it's just so like staccato. Da 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 da. But I just I was laughing through the whole thing. It was thrilling. There was some stuff in the trailer where I was like, oh, this isn't going to be tense for me because like, I already know what's happening based on the trailer. And that actually didn't ruin the movie for me, which I was pretty surprised about. So I would definitely recommend it. Um, I thought it was great. I will probably check that out within the next week. Yeah, I think you would really like it. I meant to last week, but I just kind of got lazy slash (laughs) busy. Didn't happen. I think you specifically, Travis, would really like it. I don't know how Matt would feel about it, but I think you would like it. I've also heard Jesse Eisenberg is like perfect in his One of his best roles, for sure. Since the social network, maybe even. 
I'm um, excited. Yeah. And then the other one I saw at home was Old Boy. Um, this was a first watch for me. It was the original uh, Korean Old Boy. Uh, Kurt uh, suggested we watch it together because he's a fucking weeb. (laughs) (laughs) And he's slowly turning me into one as well. I really, really enjoyed it. I knew a lot about it from watching some YouTube videos on it from Cinefix, which is a channel I really like. They did like some videos on it particularly and... So it's, I already knew the it's basic one of those premise movies that has like a bigger reputation than the film itself. Oh, like 100%. It's, I was surprised. Like its reputation it, is gr- more grand than the actual movie itself. I was actually pleasantly surprised at how small the movie seemed compared to exactly like the reputation I think it held. And it while I knew the basic plot, I still was surprised. I still felt <clears throat> like it took me emotionally to different places than I was expecting. And overall, I just really thoroughly enjoyed it was therefore it wasn't there wasn't one movie even watching at home, sometimes watching at home, sometimes I can get a little like distracted or, you know, whatever, but I was fully enthralled the whole time. Would highly recommend. That hammer fight scene is fucking bonkers. So good. And like the scene where I don't want to ruin it for everyone, but the scene at the end where he harms himself. Holy fucking shit. That was so unexpected. Almost unnecessary because it wasn't like asked of him or anything. And I was just like, ah! And like I had such a visceral reaction to it, but it was so good within the scene. Talk about being a gorehound. I feel like it perfectly rides the boundary between interesting gore but without getting too gratuitous cool classic yeah. uh i'll do a rewatch real quick uh when i found out that i got fired from my job i wanted like a like a comfort food movie that would also kind of make me feel bad but in a good way you know what i mean <laughs> So I went just wallows in the sadness. I went with the horribly, horribly depressing film Inside Out by Pixar Animation Studios, and uh, so I've I've talked a lot about how I love this movie and it always makes me cry. Blah blah blah. But given my emotional state at the time I watched it, let me just set the stage a little bit. Uh. Joy and Bing Bong's most recent attempt to reach headquarters has failed miserably. They've fallen into the memory dump. They're at the bottom of this pit. It's dark. They're scared. Joy is desperately clawing at the side of this pit, trying to climb out to no avail. She gives herself over to her situation and the desperation, and she starts crying, and she picks up memories and revisits them and talks about how good it made her feel seeing Riley happy and the memories like literally fall apart in her hands. Bing Bong realizes he's starting to fade away. His hand disappears. He's being forgotten. Then Joy comes to the revelation. 
Bing Bong's Rocket. What if Bing Bong's Rocket is down here? So they sing the song, Bing Bong, Bing Bong, who's the one who likes to play Bing Bong? They sing the song, they find Bing Bong's Rocket, they climb to the top of this hill, they shoot up to the top, but they can't quite make it to the top, right? Over and over again, they're stuck. You don't know what's going to happen. And then Bing Bong realizes he's done. There's no coming back from this. So he sacrifices himself. He tells Joy one more time. Let's try it one more time. They go off the jump. Bing Bong jumps off the rocket. Joy has no idea. She's singing. She reaches the top of the cliff, reaches safety, and she's like, where's Bing Bong? Bing Bong's down in the bottom of the pit, cheering for Joy. Then, (laughs) then Bing Bong, close up on Bing Bong's face as he's disappearing, literally fucking Avengers Endgame style dust, like... (laughs) fading out he says take her to the moon for me joy okay and i lost my fucking mind i was like full body heaving like (gasps) i couldn't breathe tears were streaming down my face this is matt's new favorite movie it was fucking out of control (laughs) (laughs) you are such a baby and i feel so sad just hearing you just that scene i've seen that movie like six or seven times and it like hit me even harder than the first time i saw it i mean granted i was in a very vulnerable state given the circumstances but oh my watching the hangover crying seven times because i was hungover what cried watching the hangover the farewell oh i was like that is not the same thing that is you were just shitting on matt's story <laughs> it's like when i watched the hangover yeah. and i cried when zach alfanak is talking about the wolf pack <laughs> um yeah i lost my shit and i rewatched la la land still a classic i fucking love that movie it's oh, the yeah. best oh yeah it's one of, one of the goats oh yeah we'll be talking about that next year <laughs> <laughs> oh when well, we're doing best of the decade oh, shit yeah. is that what you're oh, yeah. um i have two other things i'll talk about real quick if someone else wants to go i have three things but they will be brief if anyone just, wants to jump ahead just knock them out knock right. them out. so i rewatched francis ha feel, oh, i still haven't done that feel similarly about it it's it's fine right it's great it's good or it's, yeah, it's it's good but it's it's not great it's good fine. maybe it would be better if I was a woman. I don't know if that's weird to say, but just the whole friendship well, dynamic. Are you not a woman, Travis? No, this do is not identify brand new information as for me. Does Chelsea know this? The feminine part. <laughs> Good. She's aware, for sure. Uh, <laughs> but I like the black and white photography. I like Greta Gerwig and her thing. I like Noah Baumbach, but I don't know. The movie's just, it's fine. It's fine. It feels like a uh, like a warm up or predecessor of Lady Bird. Yeah, well, she wrote Francis Ha, right? I think so. I think she might have. I think she co wrote it with co directed it or no co wrote it. I think. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, they it's very like autobiographical and like they even go back to Sacramento in this movie and. It just feels very personal, like Lady Bird. But I think Lady I haven't Bird seen it. Would you recommend is it? much better. I think you would like it. I'm not. No, because that, I'm a lady. No, no, no. I'm not trying to downplay <laughs> it. I just feel like you might be able to get more out of it than I. Okay, that's fair. I also watched Tusk. Why? An A24 joint. That movie sucks. Uh, it it's not very good. I feel like it's no, no, no. Like so, the whole. 
idea or movie is like based off of like Kevin Smith and his co-host of his podcast just like shooting the shit and like they come up with this like oh it would be funny if we made a movie about this and then like they actually went and did it. That's the worst premise for a movie. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if we did this? Oh, right, we're rich and filmmakers. Let's do it. Right, it It would be as if one of us thought of something funny and had the money and yeah, yeah. But we're not Kevin Smith, and we don't have his reputation. Are you sure Matt's not Kevin Smith? (laughs) All right, enough with you. (laughs) Anyways, it'd probably work better as something discussed on a podcast or as like a short film, but as a feature length film. It loses steam like very early on, and it's just kind of goofy and dumb. Like, I, and we already had a human centipede. Yeah, I think it would be a really interesting <clears throat> short film, like you said, or like a comic, or like yeah. something in a smaller scale. Yeah, I think I would one hundred percent with agree with you that it was interesting, but as a full length <coughs> film, it was kind of like. Why though? Well, it just it just feels juvenile, like, and it just feels like stretched out, and it ju- also just feels like retreaded territory. Like this story is not any different from like other horror stories that follow this ca- same kind of trajectory. But, anyways, not great. Definitely a blemish on a twenty four's legacy. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> not as bad as Spring Breakers, though. Okay, come on. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's the complete other side of Tusk in the A24 fil- filmography. No. <laughs> I also watched Rollerball. Not as good as the stuff is Elite Battle Angel, that's for sure. What was that called? Uh, Not Rollerball. Murderball. Murderball. Murder- is it Murderball? No, is it? that's something else, isn't it? You talking yeah. about the original Rollerball? Is Rollerball yeah, not from like the about 70s. like okay. Roller Derby? Yeah, no, it is. Rollerball is like a a futuristic roller derby oh, type okay. sport. Because I was thinking you were gonna describe it to like Whip It, the movie that's about roller derby. Similar sport, but way different. But movies. like totally different, like futuristic, different. Yeah, dystopian, like like, like it's death. taking. Yeah, it's okay. like okay. this is the original, not the remake. Right. It's like a whole commentary on like physical sports and how it's literally like it's all about sport TV and entertainment and, and less about the the players and all it's that. It's a lot more running man. Yes. <laughs> I would okay. compare it to running man, but I don't know. I just like it was well shot and like some of the action scenes were cool, but it just felt a little too like important, like self-important. Like it just I don't think it really fleshed out its ideas the way it wanted to, and I don't think it's really aged particularly well. Like, it just doesn't feel monumental. Like, oh, these sports have implications. Because, <laughs> like, we know that living in today's world, but, like, maybe in the 70s, people didn't think about that kind of stuff. I feel like, and this might be an unpopular opinion, but I feel like a lot of dystopian movies from previous eras especially, like... A, like you said, haven't aged well, and B, like maybe you realize, mm, and maybe it's just because we are 30 years in the future or whatever it is, but like you're like, maybe this wasn't fleshed out as well <laughs> as it could have been. And there's a lot of flaws in this ideology or like this type of dystopian future where Taco Bell is the only thing everyone eats. Like, well, that doesn't make sense. And like, you know, there's just a lot of 
honestly holes you can poke in that out stuff. of all the movies it reminded me of it reminded me of blue chips i think i talked about it a it's few episodes ago movie? yeah where it's like a college basketball movie that focuses on like the players not getting the type of like not what is it called compensation yeah compensation that they should get as a player in the ncaa or whatever this kind of feels the same way where they're like trying to touch on like a cultural issue but like it just doesn't really age well or they don't present it in a way that's like interesting enough to at least modern day audiences but i don't know maybe in the 70s it was revolutionary (laughs) i don't know but it was just okay and then i think that's it yeah i just watched some tarantino movies and that's about it but we know how i feel about those so Next. Jay, you got anything else you want to bring up? I am good. Uh, two things real quick. Um, I watched Five Feet Apart from earlier this year. Like the Oh, that stupid teen inspirational movie where they're at the hospital. Fault in Our Stars 2.0. Yeah, it's basically <laughs> a rehash of Fault of Our Stars. Um, it was it was not very good. It was a little too it was way too predictable. Like every like YA like uh terminally ill uh lover story you've ever seen, it's all wrapped up in here. I think the lead was really good. I can't remember her name, but the Isn't she the one from like Support the Girls and Yeah, Columbus she was in there. And... Yes. She's in a couple other things. Yes, um, attractive young lady. Haley Lou, Rich- <laughs> Haley Lou Richardson is her name. Yes, I think. <laughs> Haley. Yeah, um, her uh, counterpart, her male lead, is fucking Cole Sprouse, yeah. and that guy is a—he's a fucking garbage actor. He's horrible. <laughs> he may be a bad actor, but he's a little haughty. He's no Archie. I'm Team Archie all the way. Okay, so I assume you're referring to Riverdale, a a fucking garbage-ass show. And if you're referring to that goddamn ugly-ass redhead that plays the lead, no, I'm sorry. Cole Sprouse is a little hottie with a body. That ugly-ass redhead can go lick a tire. Don't get me started on a hottie with a body. Have you seen Archie with his shirt off? No, because I don't watch that garbage ass fucking nah, teen show, you goddamn <laughs> oh, okay. baby ass. There's a scene, or not a scene, there's a plot point in that, as you said, garbage ass show, where he gets put in prison and he gets forced to compete in like prison fights. So he's just like That's shirt crazy. off, shredded, just fighting dudes, sweaty and stuff. No, Archie, Cole Sprouse is a little baby ass bitch. Cole he Sprouse sucks. He's a little baby body hottie. He's the worst. That's anyway. weird. That's kind of weird. I'm sticking with it. Part I of the... Take nothing back, no regrets. Very similar to Fault in Our Stars. So you watch Riverdale. I've seen... <laughs> quite... I've That's seen... That's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen quite a few episodes because Haley likes Riverdale. Okay. And I will admit, it's a very enough. entertaining show. No. Chelsea watches it, but I... It's very entertaining. Not in the same way. No. So anyway... <laughs> Part of the reason why Fault in Our Stars works so much better is because Shailene Woodley and Ansel L. Gort, Fort, yep, El Gort, have pretty good chemistry. Uh, Cole Sprouse and Haley Richardson, she's really good, he's really bad. It just doesn't work. Um, way too many cliches. Um, it wasn't completely unlikable, but it was not a good movie. And then the only other thing I'll mention is I watched Under the Silver Lake, which got delayed for like 
a year before it finally came out this past Another March. Another A twenty four joint. Another A twenty four joint. Uh, new film from David Robert Mitchell, who directed It Follows. Uh, this is a movie that's unlike anything I've really ever seen. Um, it's like a mystery kind of hyper violence, strange caper film. It's like a rabbit hole movie. Like it you just follow like him down. An the homage hole. to like Hitchcock or like. Well, there are many explicit Hitchcock references. Yes. There's like they say they visit Hitchcock's grave. There's a scene where it's like the. I can't remember the film technique, but it's where there's a, a face. Oh, the vertigo? In, it's in vertigo. There's like a face that's in focus at the forefront, and then you also have a face in focus in the for, in like the background. Mm. And it's it, oh, like it's all in focus as opposed do, to like... When people do glamour shots with their cats, where their face is in front and their cat's face is in the back and facing different ways and they're both in focus. Yes, uh, Hitchcock. People do that yes. with cats? <laughs> people the do classic that. Hitchcock glamour shot. Yes. Um, but like there's an aspect of like rear window with just like him yeah, there's out a, on his deck. And, there's very explicit references to Hitchcock. Um, but it's just a lot of fun. Uh, you don't know where the movie is going. Like this movie fucking goes some places. I think Andrew Garfield's really good in it. Um, it's a little hard to follow, and there are lots of story threads that don't really make sense, and they're just kind of off the wall for no real good reason other than entertainment value, I feel like. Um, but I found it very enjoyable. It's not probably not going to make my top 10 at the end of the year, but I liked it a lot. I'm glad I watched it. Better, it didn't get great reviews. Yeah, I watched it too a while back, and I feel similarly to Matt. It's hard to really say how I feel about it, but... I did enjoy watching. It's on Amazon Prime now, <laughs> if anyone wants to watch it. It's a good watch. That's all I got. Anything else before we uh, take off? Uh, this is officially our long... Oh, Paris has one more thing. Sorry. I know you are about to say this is the longest episode, and I'm like, <laughs> no, but I have one more thing. Um, <laughs> I just had one more thing that I wanted to touch on that I watched. It is an anime show called... And I'm going to read this. Puella... Magi Madoka Magica and I could not remember the fucking name of the show and I had to text Kurt and be like what was the name of that fucking show we watched because I don't remember and he texted me and sent me a little video um but it's really good um I would highly recommend it even if you don't like anime because it's actually pretty accessible um it's a magical girl show and it's not I'm like <laughs> I actually think you would really like it, Travis. No no jokes. No jokes. I think you would like it. I think if you watched like two episodes, you would be okay, in for sorry. it. Okay, sorry. What's it called and what's it, what is it on? It's okay. You can probably watch it on Crunchyroll. I don't have that. That's where it's a free subscription. It's where all of the It's free free anime. or like free trial? No, free free. Oh. Free free. Like I have it. It's free free. Oh, okay. So there it's is like, a premium subscription. Okay. But it also enables you to get you like, can verb and some tell the oh sorry <laughs> I'm sorry I totally forgot my mic is even on my lap uh, no but if you subscribe to uh, Crunchyroll then you also get like a uh, Verve which has a bunch of other shows that are not even anime and some, like Shutter and uh, it gives you like, like a grander subscription like Verve of the day. <laughs> Verve of the day. <laughs> just kidding. Travis was making know. a terrible <laughs> joke. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, so it's called 
Puella Magi Madoka Magica, which is a stupid long name, and I could not. I watched the whole show, and I could not remember it. Which anime shows tend to have nowadays? It's so stupid. It's like the the time I turned into a slime and didn't want to do that, but then I had to. Well, I feel like <laughs> that's like that's the like episodes of shows. The episodes are all like that. They're like, remember that one time? Lol. <laughs> like, no, that's a terrible name for an episode. Shut the no, fuck up. No, but those are legit titles for entire shows now. Uh, so bad. Anime. Shows. I also don't know what the translation is, so it could be like magic, magic, girl, girl, watch this show. Mm-hmm. Like we don't know, <laughs> but it's actually really good. Um, I would highly recommend it, especially for anyone that was into uh, Evangelion. Um, it's basically that with combined with like Sailor Moon with like magical girls, and it's really good. I was, I'm still. Kurt tries to get me to watch lots of anime. There's still a lot of stuff where I'm like, no, this is actual trash and I'm not fucking watching this or no, this is extraordinarily exploitative and it's just like some fucking basement versions idea of like what women are like, like fuck off. But this one I actually really appreciated and enjoyed. I thought it had good story, good animation, a small amount of like, you know, naked women, um, but not a gratuitous (laughs) amount, like enough that I think Travis would be interested. (laughs) But I would I would highly recommend it. It was very good. Explored some interesting philosophy stuff without getting too off the rails. What's up with white males pushing anime on younger females? We'll get into that in the I'm next gonna episode. No of, uh, this. <laughs> I'm going to no comment this. I'm going to no comment that. I'm just kidding. Hardcore. I mean, I'm sorry. I get, I get weirded out <laughs> when um, when there are anime boobies, but... I'm okay with anime wieners. <laughs> I have never seen an I anime. I wasn't asking you to defend Dragon Ball. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm so actually the original curious because I've never seen an anime peen, oh, nor so, have I seen so anything rare. even resembling a peen. I've seen full on like anime titties and then like an outline and of like a full ass naked woman, but I've never seen a dude with more than like his shirt. His shirt off, even he had full on pants you're on. Watching like, the wrong right. anime. So, so <laughs> apparently, Ball. I need to watch, watch more male on male oriented anime. Ball, the, the prequel show to Dragon Ball Z. Go Goku. Dragon Ball Y. Dragon Ball Z. Is the prequel to Dragon Ball Z? Dragon, Dragon Ball. Ball. Huh, I get it. Anyway, uh, yeah. So his little wiener's hanging out all the time in that show. I, He's a little I, kid, though. It's like a little kid he, he is a little kid with that a little wiener. Makes and it's so much worse, Matt. Are, are Why do we want to see child? But it wiener? is not a sexually uh, accentuated showing of a little child's penis. It is just the little kid. He happens to be naked with his little fucking wiener hanging so, out. But whenever boobies. Or fucking naked women are on anime. It is extremely sexualized. No, no, no not always. So yes, always. No, no, no. So <laughs> in this show, that is I the only reason there are anime boobies on the scene. I would disagree. In this show in particular, I think the naked women portions are actually done very tastefully and well done. I think, like I recommended you Dragon Maid earlier, like, that one has some gratuitous boobies, but, like, in a fun way. But, like, even that one, like, there's not... 
It's, it's crazy like to me lot. because I, I'm watching these anime shows now because I've got my daughter and I'm watching like Lupin the Third, right? And in Lupin the Third, he is, especially the show from the 70s, he is very much like sexually oriented. He's very much of a, like a sexual harassment type of guy and he's always trying to get the lady out of her fucking clothes and whatnot. But there is never any sort of nakedness. So that's also like, okay, earlier we were talking about Space Dandy off air and like Space Dandy is kind of like that. Like he literally goes to like a Space Hooters, which is called Boobies. And there's like waitresses there that like are like, oh my God, Space Dandy. But they're like shoving their tits in his face. But there's like no nudity. There's no even like over explicit. It's almost done like in the a very self-aware and like funny way like it's played for laughs rather than just being like yeah this is what anime is it's just titties matt we get over there yeah are you guys finished <laughs> i'm sorry yeah we got into that anime rant that we said we weren't gonna I get into mean, but. i didn't mean for that to get that long i just wanted to say i watched the show no, and people I, should watch it i wasn't asking good. matt like hey can we wrap this up i was just he looked a little concerned over there, so I'm just... He's looking where he can cut out this conversation. <laughs> he's lining up the time stamps. All of the mentions of titties. And we're back. <laughs> All right, four and a half hours hey, later, we've done it. In true Tarantino oh fashion. Uh, over long. We just did a whole Tarantino movie. This was the most self-indulgent <laughs> episode of our podcast. This is why Tom should be on here. Oh, he yeah. really keeps it like in he check. He would have been checked been out so two long. hours ago. Yeah. Okay, so that's going to wrap it up for this episode. I hope y'all have stuck around through the end. I think uh, there's some good shit. Oh, yeah. We got some good shit in here. Uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks. We got uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, I feel like, is probably one we're going to see. Who cares? Rated PG-13. <laughs> You're, you're not wrong. wrong. It's not rated R? It's not. Ooh, My old story is told That does make me feel less excited, lamp. but I'm still very excited about it. Uh, good Boys. We got to see Good Boys. Oh, yeah. That comes out two weeks from now. Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Also comes out two weeks from now. Yeah. My boy Linklater. What? No. Oh, he's directing Richard Linklater is directing it. That's Kate Blanchett, right? Yeah. I care because it's Richard Linklater. I don't care because it's Is that like Seattle. you're in Tom's movie? You guys should go see it together. You're in Tom. Oh, and also, uh, I'll probably end up seeing uh, the Dora movie. <laughs> hey. Hey, come on. Dora. This man is Are you unemployed. Pretend like you're in touch with your Latino roots, so that makes it okay that you see Dora. Is that what you're trying to say right now? What are you implying? He's not it's excusing not, it's himself. Not okay to see Dora the Explorer. <laughs> He's not excusing. Oh man, I think you're uh, stepping into some uh, weird territory if you're going in as a single male male into a door and explorer movie oh i'm gonna see it with Haley. I'm oh you better you better see it with somebody <laughs> uh i grew well i my sister grew up watching dora so there's a soft spot in my heart for, right for dora. so when the barney live action remake comes out oh, i'll be first in line yes <laughs> uh barney barney the dinosaur no. yeah isn't that already live action Yes. <laughs> well, what is your definition of live action? Did you live. listen to our last episode of The Lion King? I didn't know. 
Uh, Barney is literally <laughs> live action, though. It's no, a dude I know. In a costume. I know. I know. Barney's not CGI, though. Sorry. Barney's like a man. Let's, let's not focus know, on the live action right, aspect. Let's not go down yeah. another tangent here. Right? Just saying. We, we don't need excuses to go see movies that or things things that our younger sisters enjoyed when they were younger. Yeah, just, oh, dude, Bear in the Big Blue House movie? I'm going to be all about it whenever that comes out. Okay, that's going to do it. Thank you, everybody, for sticking through with us to the end. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Thank you, my guests, Paris and Jay, for being on the show. It's been real. I really appreciate it. Still no ETA on when Tom will be back. We haven't even talked to the guy. Yeah, I haven't really heard from him. He's busy. He's got a lot on his hands. Yeah. So. He's probably listening. I'm waiting for him to text We miss you, Tom. If you're listening. <laughs> we love you, Tom. We love our guests. We love our listeners. Thank you, everybody. Hold back. Nobody move. There's blood on the floor.